Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Fengloss coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. I hate starting the show with my seat too low. I have to readjust everything. <laughs> it's Friday. I don't care. Um, yeah, it's true. It's it's uh, as the week goes on. Monday, you know, I haven't done the show for two days, so I'm fussing. I'm worrying. By Friday, it's like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> it's just you know, everything's so much more casual um, because uh, and we start earlier too. So we're at six o'clock uh, on Fridays, and we'll be um, and so we'll go till nine o'clock. Uh, Mike Lynch, uh, Science Friday. He could not make it today. Um, Amber Kemper cannot make it today. <laughs> What is it, wintertime, guys? What's going on out there? Anyway, so we're, we're, we're short a couple of reporters today. Jim Dykes, unfortunately, had to leave the show um, because the circumstances prevented him, uh, new job, prevented him from, from continuing on uh, with us, which is really too bad because Jim has been with the show since about pretty much since the beginning. Uh, we started on Blog Talk, or very shortly thereafter. Uh, I always started talking to the folks at Florida Carry. Maybe we'll get another Florida Carry person. We'll see. But um, I'll, I'll, you know, I kind of like, well, we'll see how things work out. Uh, it'd be nice to have another gum report, but Shirley does such a great job that uh, we can cover all aspects of that. And I think she'll be, I don't know, you know, we'll see. Half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, you never know. It's action radio. I don't, you know, I plan sort of, kind of loosely, but after that, who knows? Anyway, we've got half an hour now, and this is something I was going to talk to Amber about anyway uh, during the Constitution Report, uh, is Twitter. Twitter, what's going on at Twitter is absolutely fascinating. Uh, so I wrote a little comment down here before the show. Let me see if I can get my notes here. I said, Elon Musk, not the Congress, not the government, not big tech, comp- not big tech themselves, but one dude, <laughs> one dude has completely opened up free speech as companies are required to do under public accommodation. Okay, so what am I talking about here? Public accommodation is what uh, made segregation uh, in in many aspects uh, completely, well, segregation was illegal anyway, but public accommodation was the justification under the Commerce Clause. Um, that's the, the Civil Rights Act was really fought under the Commerce Clause. So in other words, they did a really good thing the wrong way, <laughs> but it worked, so it's okay. Uh, because I think there were some Supreme Court justices that said, oh, you can't do that. You know, states, states' rights, states have a right to. No, they don't. <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't work that way. Um, anyway, but to, so the public accommodation is something that's not often brought up because I think it would mean Congress would actually have to do their job. And what their job is, is if a company is open to the public, uh, you know, like a restaurant in segregation, um, you know, can't discriminate. You know, if they're open and they serve food, then they have to serve food to everybody. And that doesn't mean they have to serve stuff they don't serve. And this is where the big distinction comes in. So whatever your regular fare is, if you're a barbecue place, you know, and a customer comes in, you know, who's, I don't know, whatever, make up a race, make up a something, discrimination, you know, against them. Uh, I'm not talking about no shoes, no shirt. That's, that's a whole different thing because that's, that's treating everybody equally, and it does make sense for health reasons. But if, if folks come into a barbecue place and say, we don't serve your kind here, you know, like Star Wars, you know, in the bar scene, we don't serve droids here. So you bring your droids in. <laughs> well, are you, so you bring people in that, that aren't going to get served for whatever reason, right? And they can't do that. You know, as long as you're asking for what, whatever the restaurant regularly produces, you know, they have to feed you. They have to serve you because that, they're open to the public. And that's what's called public accommodation. So if you open your doors to the public, uh, then uh, then the public can come in and you know take care take what you want. But you can't force uh, a business to do something that they don't normally produce. And this is where these these uh, cases of uh, 
you know, of the, the gay wedding cake. Well, it's religious discrimination. You're, you're bigots. You're, you're hateful. You're this. No, if they don't regularly produce it. In other words, if they go to a, a, a gay, you know, if a, if a company regularly makes gay wedding cakes and a Christian, you know, couple goes in and says, we'd like a traditional wedding cake, please. And they say, no, you can't. No, we're not going to do that. And they don't make them ever. <laughs> if they never do traditional cakes, if they only do gay, gay wedding cakes, it's the same thing. You know, that's what they do. That's their business. So if your business is defined, you know, in, in a certain way and your, your customers just say, you know, you know, you know, Acme Gay Wedding Cake Company, that's fine. That's okay. You know, someone comes in saying, I oh, would like to have a, a traditional Muslim, you know, wedding cake. Uh, no, I'm sorry, we don't do that. We only do gay wedding cakes. That's okay. <laughs> you know, in the same way, a Christian company that says, I'm sorry, we, you know, it's against my beliefs and values. I, I only do, uh, you know, regular traditional marriage wedding cakes. Okay, that's cool. As long as you don't discriminate, you know, uh, it, you know, you can't be forced to do something your company doesn't produce. All right. I'm getting to public accommodation. I, I'm, it's kind of circuitous, but you'll, you'll see where I'm going with this uh, as, I, as I sort of try to improvise and muddle what, my way through. Um, but the point is that you can't do that for the same reason that you can't, you know, demand sushi from a pizza place. Why? Because <laughs> pizza places don't, don't make sushi. And if they do, that's okay. If you have a pizza in a sushi place, that's different. But you, you can't demand Indian food from, uh, um, you know, a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't do that. Yeah, I'd like to have some uh, curry with my uh, chow mein. Um, we don't do curry. Okay, fine. You know, I mean, the, the, I mean, it sounds silly. That's a silly example. But in the same, well, why is that any different than somebody demanding a, a gay wedding cake from a, a company that only makes traditional wedding cakes? Why, you know, what's the difference? Well, there isn't a difference, okay? So in the same way, it's called public accommodation. So if you offer it to the public, you have to open up. So where I'm going with this is that Twitter is open to the public. They come under public accommodation. Congress could have, uh, you know, closed these people down, fined them billions of dollars. They could have done whatever they wanted as soon as they started censoring conservatives because of public accommodation. So, so, you know, instead of food, instead of wedding cakes, talk about, you know, access to free speech and knowledge. And, and uh, you know, the public, they're open to the public to tweet. That's their business. They're in the business of having people tweet. And, of course, they take your personal information, market it, and, you know, make billions off advertising and then, uh, you know, sell stuff back to you once you've told them what you want. <laughs> That's how that, – these are marketing companies. Facebook does the same thing. But they're open to the public. Because they're open to the public, Twitter could no more discriminate against conservatives and close conservative accounts than restaurants during segregation could have stopped black people from going in and ordering food. It's exactly the same thing. It's public accommodation. Any more than uh, the government, in the opposite way, could force a Christian bakery uh, who does traditional wedding cakes to make a gay wedding cake. You can't do that. That's not their business. But you can, do, you can force them to do what is their business if they're not open to all customers. See the difference? It's, very, it's a very critical difference. So you can't force a business to do something that they don't do. In other words, you can't demand that a pizza place make sushi for you. You can't do that. That's not, that's not what they do. That's not their business model. They haven't put themselves out to the public as that's what they do. However, if you go in and order a pizza and you happen to be from Burma and they say, oh, well, I'm sorry, we've we got a problem with Burmese people. We, do, we don't serve Burmese people here. Then work. Public accommodation. If, you, if they order a pizza and you make pizza, you've got to make them a pizza. Public accommodation. You're open to the public. So Twitter was open to the public. Again, what they were selling was information. There's, their, their, their accommodation is tweeting. And so for the, therefore, they were bound by public accommodation, which is a civil right, by the way. This is, this is why the Civil Rights Act was created, public accommodation under the Commerce Clause. Twitter was bound to take everybody. They could not discriminate. They could not uh, do anything. In fact, even if you said things that were really, you know, as I said before, with our Section 230 bill, you know, if they said things that were hateful, graphically violent, disgusting, things like that, you know, pornographic, obscene, well, there are laws to handle that. There are you know, obscenity laws and pornography laws. 
especially child pornography laws. So big tech was never or should have never been able to uh, censor anybody. See, the problem came in. See, Congress screwed this up because Congress could, should have just left it alone. They never should have passed this Section 230. Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which became, I think, Title 47, um, says that uh, as long as uh, big tech acts in good faith, they can uh, remove content you know, from the Internet that they, they deem, not about they deem, to be you know, obscene, lascivious, lewd, graphically violent, you know, all that kind of stuff. Stuff is basically the pornography and the obscenity laws, okay? But since those laws already allow uh, government law enforcement from the Justice Department to local law enforcement to take those things off the Internet and arrest the people who did it, you know, big tech never had to do that. They're never supposed to be the police of the Internet because it's already being handled by other laws, and you don't have to make something illegal twice. So the fact that Congress gave big tech this power was stupid. I think they probably bought it with their lobbyists, and Congress being the typical dipsticks that they are, never actually looked at the laws they passed, and they passed this good faith, good Samaritan exception that says that uh, big tech can do this. In fact, it even has a clause that says, you know, despite what the Constitution says. So, the, so Congress actually passed a law that said that free speech does not apply to the free speech of Twitter, <laughs> you know, and the free speech of all other social media. Uh, it doesn't apply that big tech can remove things they find, and here's the key word, otherwise objectionable. Well, what do they find objectionable? Conservatives. So what they're doing is actually legal under this law, but that law is illegal and illegal under the First Amendment, and it's illegal under the Commerce Clause public accommodation. So for two, two very huge reasons, Congress could have stopped the censorship any time, but they didn't because they're geldings. Okay? That's the problem I have. The Republicans are geldings, and the Democrats want to control free speech. Well, I think the Republicans, for a large extent, do too. You, know, you didn't see uh, Mitch McConnell screaming and yelling that, that Trump was banned on Twitter. You didn't. Why? Because he didn't care. He didn't, want, he didn't want Trump's voice out there. What, America first? Oh, please. We're the government. We don't care about America first or Americans for that matter. So that's how that came about. All right. So let's fast forward to today where this fascinating situation has occurred that Elon Musk has bought Twitter. Now, did he buy it to make a huge profit? No. First of all, he's already got – he's a multi-billionaire. He doesn't need this aggravation. Why did he do it? He did it for exactly the same reason that Trump ran for president. Okay? One person that can make a difference. They're in a position to make a difference. If I were a billionaire, trust me, <laughs> there would, you know, uh, action radio would have replaced talk radio by now because it's, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to become the dominant format. You know, talk radio is now where silent movies were just before they disappeared. <laughs> they just don't know it yet. You know, so that's where talk radio is. Action radio will be the dominant, you know, non-musical format uh, in the coming years. It just will, I mean, in the same way that talking movies took over for silent films. So just stand by. It's going to happen. It's uh, just a question of when. So let me go to one of my favorite uh, people here that uh, does uh, their Substack. All the good stuff in print is on Substack. All the things that can't be printed other places because they're censored too, <laughs> they're on Substack. <laughs> All right. So here's the wildfire newsletter from Kyle Becker, former Fox News producer, someone I'm trying to get on the show because I like his material. And there's three articles he wrote. So I'm going to kind of walk you through these uh, in uh, – uh, and just to sort of let you know, actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something else. I've uh, been playing with music. <laughs> so I've decided to download a bunch of different things just to keep it more interesting around here. So when I change subjects, I'm going to play you something like, uh, oh, I don't know, this. Let's see if I can get this going here.
fun we're having. <laughs> so I've been playing with my sound material, so we're going to do a lot more stuff on the show to make it more interesting. All right, so back to Kyle Becker from, I guess it says 20 hours ago. So I guess that would be yesterday, but I think it was actually two days ago. So I got three articles by Kyle uh, Becker. So I, I say you go three days ago, two days ago, and then uh, last night. So he says, Elon, this is a couple of days ago. I want to give you the history of how this came about because it's really quite fascinating. So he says in this one, Elon Musk reacts to becoming the new owner of Twitter. The much-anticipated deal for billionaire tech CEO Elon Musk to take over Twitter has now officially closed, according to a new report. So I thought it would be a news report, but that's okay. It says, Elon Musk, this is a quote here, Elon Musk is officially Twitter's new daddy. <laughs> yeah, he's a man, he's a daddy. Uh, you know, uh, big bad daddy. Yeah, anyway, at least uh, according to Elon Musk, <laughs> who says he hopes the platform will continue to be a digital town square for years to come. And that's from TMZ. Not sure who they are. But anyway, Musk gave his reason for acquiring the social media platform. Quote, there is currently great danger that social media will splinter into far right wing and far left wing echo chambers that generate more hate and divide in our society. First of all, I don't agree with that. Uh, it is true that, uh, you know, True Social, Getter, um, some of the other platforms, as they say, I, I don't like the word platform. It just seems kind of funny to me. Anyway, so those things arose because conservatives now have a voice on Twitter. So I don't believe in, in this whole antitrust thing of breaking these things up. Uh, in, in many ways, it's actually better to have a source like Twitter where everybody tweets because then you have conservative and, and liberal you know, folks coming together. You have Marxists and anarchists and everybody else uh, because it's public accommodation. You can't discriminate against people unless they fall under something that's illegal. In other words, the obscenity laws or pornography laws, people can post anything they want. It doesn't matter how political. Someone advocates, you know, all kinds of stuff. Now, if they, if they are, well, the, the things that, that already regulate speech, okay, this is the abuse of speech. This isn't the right to free speech. It's a little bit different uh, because what you're doing is affecting somebody else. You can say whatever you want, but if it affects other people uh, dangerously, then, you know, it's, it's a different kind of thing. So I'm not talking about yelling fire in a crowded theater, which you can do, okay, contrary to popular belief. Sure, you can yell fire in a crowded theater. What if there's a fire? I mean, get real, okay? Even if there isn't a fire, can you do it? Sure. Is it stupid? Yeah. Could you be attacked? Very possibly. I mean, so, so the whole point of free speech is you have the right to free speech, but you're still responsible for what you say. Okay? So if you, if you libel or slander somebody, yes, you have the right to free speech, but once you've made that speech, you're accountable for it. See, that's the difference. People, if you, if you separate the exercise of the right from actually exercising the right, so the right itself is absolute. You, there's an absolute right to free speech, and there has to be. Otherwise, the government will limit free speech. And that's like prior, you know, restraint. You can't limit what you think somebody might say maybe that could be possibly illegal, okay? That you can't do. That's prior restraint. So we don't live in a world of prior restraint. We live in a world of, uh, you know, of legality. In other words, you, you prosecute the guilty. You know, you go after crimes once committed. You don't anticipate ahead of time, like Minority Report, you know, what people might do because then you no longer have a free society, okay? Well, that's the risk that people, you know – in other words, in order to let the maximum number of people exercise their freedoms, you have to wait until somebody commits a crime before you go after them. Otherwise, you're committing a crime against everybody by restricting everybody from exercising their freedoms. Okay? That's why we do it that way. You know, is it more of a risk? Well, I guess a bit, but that's why you have things you know, to protect yourself. That's why we have a Second Amendment. Anyway, I'm digressing. But the point is of all this that uh, – in fact, I don't, know, at this point, I don't even know what the point is. I'm just kind of rambling. Um, but, uh, but that's how it works. That's how it works, that freedom, this is a free speech issue. It's also a public accommodations issue. And uh, as far as, you know, splintering into far right and far left, you know, I, I don't, you know, there's no reason why we all can't be on the same platform. Okay. And I don't think that's a monopoly because it's open to the public. 
So because there are all these different points of view, it's not a monopoly business. If it was, you know, the monopoly is when they said we're only going to have, uh, you know, leftist Marxist views on, on, our, on, our, on our platform. That's the problem. So I don't even think this is an antitrust thing because there are different kinds of social media. But people, you know, government always wants to regulate. They always want a new agency and they want to spend money. And there are ways to get around this without doing that. Anyway, back to uh, Kyle Becker, who says Musk gave his reason for acquiring the oh, I said that. Okay. Another quote here, in the relentless pursuit of clicks, much of the traditional media has fueled and catered to those, pol- those polarized extremes as they believe that this is what brings in the money. But in doing so, the opportunity for dialogue is lost. Uh, he also said, that's why, I brought, that's why I bought Twitter. I didn't do it because it would be easy. I didn't do it to make more money. <laughs> I did it to try and help humanity, whom I love. And I do so with humanity, Humility, excuse me, recognizing that failure in pursuing this goal, despite our best efforts, is a very real possibility. Yeah, so it's nice when you have so much money, you can do good things and you don't have to worry about making money. Not everybody's in that position, but I think a lot more people would do a lot more good things if they weren't in the position of having to make money. Uh, And so when that takes up as much time as it does, that's where the problems come in. And so that's what people are facing all the time here is this this constant drain on on the resources of their time. You know, I mean, people would volunteer more if they didn't have to work as much. I know they would. I would. You know, hopefully I'll be able to do some stuff. Well, I mean, you know, my give back to the community, well, basically my work is is a give back to the community, creating something where anybody can write a law, uh, write a bill that uh, through government, you know, might become a law, you know, and could be signed by the president, you know, the real one, (laughs) not not the person occupying the White House now. So that was the first article. All right, and you got to, as reported earlier, Elon Musk's takeover, takeover of Twitter is happening. The news broke on Wednesday that night that billions of dollars in cash have begun transferring to the banks involved in the deal. So this is where the money is. There's a lot of money that they transferred for him to do this. He says banks have started to send $13 billion in cash backing Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter Incorporated. According to people familiar with the matter, the latest sign that the $44 billion deal for the social media company is on track to close by the end of the week. <laughs> Sounds like a house, right? They're closing the deal, right? Or a car, new car payment, you know, after months of twists and turns. Okay, that's from the Wall Street Journal. Mr. Musk, <laughs> this is kind of weird now, like Elon. All right, so Mr. Musk, late Tuesday, sent a so-called borrowing notice to the banks that agreed to provide him with the debt for the purchase. One of the people said, uh, Wall Street Journal added, that kicked off a process that is currently underway by which banks will deposit funds they are on the hook for in an escrow account after hammering out final details of the debt contracts. So this is a lot of work. This is all the stuff I don't understand. So maybe, uh, maybe Derek can explain it here, but a lot of money changed hands. Um, I was listening to Fox before, they, uh, before I had to turn them off um, to do the show, and apparently the um, Dorsey gets a billion you know, for being former chair. Uh, the current CEO gets several million, like 25 million, uh, and one of the CFO gets like 14 million. So the, these, you know, these people that are fired, the, the, they're not being hurt, okay, economically. They're going to do just fine. You know, I'd love to be fired from a job and get that much money. I would have well, retired, but I would have had a lot more money for Action Radio. So the next article, and this is, um, it says 10 hours ago, but who knows exactly, yesterday, right? Elon Musk's buyout deal of Twitter has officially closed. Twitter execs have left the building and will not be returning. <laughs> this is the funny part. <laughs> I mean, this really is funny. I mean, how, you know, conservatives get such bad news all the time, 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 all the time. It's really nice when something good happens, and this is good. So my, my title of the show today, Hey, Twitter execs, get the flock out of here. So take your birds, take your tweets, you know, take your little tweety birds and get the flock out of here. 
I'm sorry. Uh, take the bird. Okay, you'll figure it out. I, mean, I have my moments, right? Anyway, so this is billionaire. This is from uh, Cal Becker's uh, yesterday one. Tw- billionaire t- tech CEO Elon Musk's $44 billion deal to take over Twitter has now officially closed. Twitter CEO Parag Agrawal. Isn't he the guy that said the First Amendment doesn't apply to Twitter? Oh, give me a break. What kind of jerk is this? And Chief Financial Officer Ned Siegel, hey, Ned, bye, Ned, have left the company's San Francisco headquarters and will not be returning. Something else you should know about um, the Twitter company and the Twitter building that you wouldn't know unless you're in San Francisco. In fact, most San Franciscans don't know either. Twitter was given a building. And uh, maybe they paid a nominal amount, but basically this was an old building. And the city of San Francisco said, and in a not too great area too, by the way, it's interesting. So it's an old building. And I don't think it was being used, and the city wasn't making any money off it. So the city said, Twitter, we're going to basically give you this building. Uh, if you stay here, occupy it, fix it up, do stuff with it. So since they didn't have to pay for the building, uh, or maybe a nominal amount, um, that's when you, if you see those videos of the, you know, the massage room, <laughs> you know, the meditation uh, space, you know, the, 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 the buffet, you know, catering tables and all that kind of stuff, they had a lot of money because they didn't have to buy the building. And they probably didn't have to uh, pay a lease on it either. I think the city gave them years of, of, of free you know, rent. So Twitter got an amazing deal. So I'm not sure all the ramifications of that. I'm surprised that uh, Kyle Becker didn't, uh, didn't point that out. But Twitter, Twitter's not hurting. <laughs> Twitter never was. So that's why they could afford to not make money because they weren't paying rent. And they didn't pay for their building. And those are major expenses. And this is a big building. Okay? So they had all this money for extra people because they weren't paying for it. <laughs> So that's, that's so I'm, I'm now okay. So here's the question. I didn't think of this until just this second. What what are, what are the chances that San Francisco, being the Marxist, you know, uh, uh, reservoir of, of of humanity that exists there, uh, are now going to start charging Twitter for the building because Elon Musk owns it? That would be interesting. Now, unless they have a contract, and of course you can't change the contract just because a new owner comes in of the company. If the contract is with Twitter and they get free rent, this is like the ultimate irony. <laughs> San Francisco is going to have to tolerate a free speech Twitter right in the heart of San Francisco, about what three blocks from City Hall. I think that's where it is. Um, that uh, <laughs> that's going to be their rent free and building, you know, building cost free. That is friggin' hysterical. I'm sorry. All right. So the executives were were escorted out. <laughs> you know. Now my question is, are these people American citizens? And the reason I ask that is because Americans grow up with a loyalty to our country. We under, well, most Americans, you know, those that are raised, the red diaper doper babies, as uh, Michael Savage calls them. Uh, you figure that out, red diaper doper babies. In other words, they're, they're communists from, from birth. You know, their parents raised them to be communists. But most Americans believe in free speech, you know, even though they, they, they've been coerced and, and, and co-opted by things like hate speech and other things. But most Americans, you know, believe in individual rights. And they can't always define them. They don't know all the ramifications. They, don't, they can't recite the Bill of Rights from the Constitution like you know, a lot of listeners to this show. But they basically they, they know fair play when they see it. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom to protest, you know, the basic things. Due process you know, when you go to court and when you get arrested, things like that. I mean, most people understand those basic rights. So free speech being one of them. So the question is, you know, Parag Agrawal, you know, where, where is Parag from? And is that a place where they don't have free speech? Okay, you know, if he's from Indonesia, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a Muslim slightly. It's more restrictive. It's less restrictive than most Muslim countries. But then again, you know, Indonesia is fairly restrictive. Didn't you guys see what was that film way back when? Um, I'm trying to think of it. Year of Living Dangerously with uh, Mel Gibson and Linda Hunt. Great film. It was set in Indonesia about a politically repressive regime. Okay, so Indonesia has their moments. Okay, so in other words, is Parag Agarwal? I'm just guessing. I mean, I don't know where he's from. Um, but the point is, is he from a country 
that does not have the same respect for individual rights that we have here? So that's my question. And if that's the case, it would make sense. That's for the same reason that Barack Obama, who's not, you know, first of all, I don't believe born here. Secondly, I know wasn't raised all the way here. His formative years were in Indonesia. And I just happened to make that, that connection in my head. Um, because of that, he does not have the same sense of, of you know, America's the greatest, best, exceptional, all that stuff, because he was raised in different countries. Now, he actually was right when he said that other countries think of themselves as exceptional, too. You know, America's not the only country that thinks of themselves as exceptional. You know, Greeks think Greek, Greece is exceptional. You know, we're the foundation of democracy. And Britain thinks, you know, Britain is exceptional. And, you know, when I lived in Australia, Australia thought Australia was exceptional. So it's, it's a worldwide kind of thing. But it's not as defined as American exceptionalism, the American dream, uh, and the ability to work hard, do what you want. And the fact that we have a freedom here that few other people, that nobody else has really, um, because of the various, uh, you know, things that are in our Constitution and Bill of Rights. And even those have been chipped away by government. So American people... The American people love freedom, but the government hates it. They do. Why else would the government steal the government, put in a fake government, uh, and take away all our rights and, and do everything they can to oppress us, take our energy, you know, you know, you know uh, basically tank the economy? That's all intentional, by the way. I'll talk about that in the third hour. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of economic stuff as to why the government loves inflation, for example. But this is what they do. So these people, I'm wondering if they are America first or whether they have loyalty to another country. They're here on uh, you know, extended work visa you know, or whether they're permanent residents you know, from somewhere else you know, to run Twitter. I don't know. It be worth investigating. So any, any good investigators out there want to take a look at that, please feel free. It says, as reported at the Washington Post, Elon Musk took control and immediately fired Twitter CEO, the CFO, that's the chief financial officer, and the head of legal policy, trust and safety. <laughs> Wait a minute. There was somebody who had legal policy, trust and safety? This is what they say. Misinformation. It's dangerous. Can't have misinformation out there. It's dangerous. So we will control the information. That's how you will stay safe. Oh, give me a friggin' break. All right. Third one, uh, Kyle Becker. Uh, wildfire newsletter the most recent one he says elon musk takes over twitter fires all the execs then sends a forward message for word message to america and the message is the bird is freed and that's f-r-e-e-d freed the bird is free the bird has flown the bird is on its way twitter is now free to fly and free speech is back in america at least at twitter it isn't at the rest of social media but we'll get there i don't think there are enough billionaires to buy the rest of i mean who's going to buy facebook you know facebook is bigger than twitter as far as I know, uh, who's going to buy Instagram? And, and uh, you know, you're not going to buy TikTok. That's China. Besides, if you go on TikTok, you're just handing all your personal information to the Communist Party. I mean, that's how that works. <laughs> so you want to talk about something that we need to change? That's a place Congress can regulate. Anyway, but Twitter, this is going to be fascinating. I'm really curious to see what happens because I post every, every show that I've done on Blog Talk Radio uh, has been on Twitter. And my response is almost, uh, um, it was very low. I don't know what it's almost, it's, 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 um, it, you know, it's almost non-existent, but it's very low because we've been suppressed ever since I came out, uh, the chloroquine kills COVID, the vaccine is not necessary, uh, what, everything the government's telling you is a lie, and um, COVID's not that big a risk anyway to 99.9 something percent of the people. So why are we bothering with all this stuff? You know, why don't we just kill it? Why don't we just uh, cure it? Why don't we just treat it? Well, as soon as I said that, you know what happened, right? And I was one of the first, March 2nd of 2020, I said chloroquine kills COVID, everything else is BS. Well, guess what happened? You, you know, they didn't kick me off Twitter, but they certainly didn't let me use it. <laughs> you know, so in the same way, um, you know, that's happened. Well, we'll see what happens. Anyway, Elon Musk has uh, 117,296 retweets. It should have been in the millions. 655,200 likes. So I'm going to keep posting my shows, and I'm going to see what happens. But please, you know, Twitter, just go to Action Radio, you know, Twitter, or at Action Radio. 
You'll find me. I mean, I'm the only one. You know, oh, let me see. I actually have my, my Twitter uh, handle. I should have my Twitter handle handy, <laughs> but I don't. Let me go on the phone here because I have enough tied up with my computer running the show. So let's go to me. Because <laughs> this is one of my pin posts. It shouldn't be too hard to find. Just give me a second here. I know it's live radio, but, you know, that's how it goes. Twitter, 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 Twitter. got a lot of Twitter posts. A lot of other stuff. CNN, Twitter, 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 Where's my Twitter post? Ah, here we go. Twitter.com slash Action Radio GP. There you go. Twitter.com slash Action Radio GP. Now, why did I have Action Radio GP? Because there is a, um, a radio repair shop up in Minnesota that calls themselves Action Radio. And that's fine. That's part of the reason I changed to the Action Radio Citizen Legislature. So nobody would be under any illusions of who we are, what we do. This is the Action Radio Citizen Legislature. That is the title of the show. That is the title of, of, the, of, of, of the company. That's what I do. Okay. So because there are Action Radio, there's a, there's a Greek music station on FM, and they call themselves Action Radio. And that's cool. If they're a music station, cool. You play your music, I'll do my, uh, my advocacy. There is no other Action Radio Citizen Legislature. We're it. But there are different companies and, and things that call themselves action radio. Good for you. I don't care. They're, they're different. I mean, I'm not in conflict with a with a repair, you know, a radio repair place or a Greek FM music station. No, go for it. Anyway, but the point of that is that we are the Action Radio Citizen Legislature, uh, and that we have been completely suppressed, <laughs> you know, on Twitter. And let's see what happens. This is going to be fascinating. Anyway, uh, Shirley should be calling here in just a little bit. We'll see what's uh, what's going on. But I've got a bunch of tweets here, a bunch of other stuff going on. Uh, on this it is fascinating. This is really incredible. Um, all the people that are suddenly going, yay, well, what happens? You know, I mean, I mean the conservatives are going to flock back to uh, Twitter. So, so we'll get one flock out and another will flock in. <laughs> Can I say that? I think I just did. All right, I'll play a couple things, and, uh, I, and I'll be uh, right back here in just, just a little bit. This is Greg Penglis, creator of Action Radio for my town, Milton, Florida. Milton, it's where I live. It's where you can live too. It's where you can bring a new business, especially a business that helps our downtown historic district. We have everything in Milton. We have the Blackwater River. We have the Imogene Theater, built in 1912 and still booking national acts. We have Scoop's Ice Cream. We have Boomerang's Restaurant where I get my favorite Thai chicken pizza. We have an outdoor stage for music acts and free concerts by the river. The Blackwater Bistro will keep you in steak and seafood indefinitely. We have brew pubs creating great craft beers and giving us all a place to relax and talk. But it's more than just stuff and food and buildings. It's people. Remember the show Cheers where everybody knows your name? It's that kind of place. So if you are tired of the cities, of the traffic, the frenetic pace of life that doesn't seem to get you anywhere. If you want a small city that has incredible potential, that combines the best of historic buildings and modern, fun, small retail shops and restaurants, and a great waterfront, plus who knows what for the future, take a look at historic Milton, Florida, in the Panhandle, near Pensacola, and the world's greatest beaches on the Emerald Coast of the Gulf of Mexico. Milton is going through a renaissance. Maybe you can be part of making it happen. Well, it wasn't exactly what I was thinking of playing, but uh, since it started, like, well, let's listen to this. This is something I made for uh, for the city of Milton here, my little community. Uh, Shirley's on the line. I'm going to get right to her and let's get her theme as soon as the music stops. Can I step on my own production? Let's find out. 
When one is faced with a crisis, you find your true character. How you react to such an emergency can determine the rest of your life. Two paths present themselves for you to choose. One leads to tragedy. The other leads to becoming a new person. Shirley Wattrell, a survivor of a dangerously abusive relationship, is that new person. She's the author of Heels to Holster. She is a firearms instructor, motivational speaker, women's empowerment advocate, and a reporter for Action Radio. So now, here is the DC Project Women and Guns with Shirley Wattrell. So my first question, of course, is uh, were you guys sensitive at DC Project being a women and guns empowerment group doing wonderful things with uh, First Amendment, Second Amendment, and everything else? Did you guys get uh, slammed like I did? Did we get slammed by what? By, by Twitter, oh. by, uh, by the censorship that went on from the, uh, the communists that ran it for the last several years. Because I have. My, I've, I've, been tweeting, I've been tweeting every show since I started at Blog Talk and have never been able to really establish a following. Uh, and I know that's the censorship because we had a lot of people interested in the show, you know, over two, like three years ago. And we weren't even that, that good or that big yet. And we still had a whole thousands of people were, were, were viewing our, our, our pages daily. Um, and then it just stopped, you know, as soon as I said chloroquine kills COVID and uh, the vaccine's not necessary. And Dr. Fauci is a new man. That pretty much did it. <laughs> I didn't know. I thought I was just telling the truth. Well, yeah, um, I don't actually know. That would be something for our social media question for our social media person. Um, oh. Personally, I do not have a Twitter account, so apparently I need to get one now for sure. You should. <laughs> Feel free to twit exactly. like the rest of us twits. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to twit more often now on Twitter. And now I have to learn something new. Another, mm-hmm. another social media. Oh, my gosh. Well, and this is this is interesting, yeah, because I've tried True Social and I haven't established much of a following there, and there's no social media, you know, uh, so there's no restrictions as far as I go. But that's the problem. There's so many different sites, you know, they're all doing the same thing: True Social, Getter, um, Free Speech, Frank Speech. You know, the, the these were were trying to compete with Twitter, but they never caught on because it weren't that big. You know, conservatives, we don't need to talk to each other. The whole point of, of Twitter was that we got to talk to the left, <laughs> you know, and, and the left didn't like that. So they censored us and they, oh, they, they want to talk to each other and reinforce their own misconceptions. Um, but that's why it's so much fun for us to be on Twitter. So that's why I'm glad to do it. I don't think the other sites are going to do as well. I think Devin Nunez made a huge mistake leaving Congress to run Truth Social. I guess they thought it was going to be big, you know, and then Elon Musk comes along and, and takes it over. Uh, and now he's going to do the right thing and open it up. So this is going to be fascinating. Now, I know this is the gun report, but this, you know, Second Amendment stuff, stories, the things that you talk about every week, you know, guns saving lives, you can put those right on Twitter now. You know, you get a much bigger following. Those stories are going to be able to grow and reach millions more people than they did yesterday. This is a good thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just going to have to add that to my, to my, <laughs> <Workload. laughs> to my postings now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, to look at Twitter. But no, I think okay. it's, it's great that someone's out there now that, that's not going to censor what's being posted. And like Facebook, I'm, you know, I finally figured Facebook out and Facebook doesn't, isn't getting out to where people nope. need to see it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll try something else now. Go for it. Well, Once see, I'm you figure something out, they go and change the story. <laughs> 
Well, you know, it's interesting. You, know, you can do a little survey. You, you post something from uh, the Action Radio Gun Group or you post uh, anything for, about my show, and you will find that uh, it is so shadow banned and is so restrictive. Uh, one of our, our new reporters was, was telling me that, uh, yeah, you know, she'll post our show, and everything else she posts gets, uh, you know, tons and tons of likes and views and things like that. But my show? Nope. So we're, we've been restricted for so long. Uh, it's, when we make our breakout, it's, we're going to break out big time in ways that people have no concept, you know, just because of what we do here. So it's going to be fascinating. Anyway, back to you. What's going on in, in gun world? Uh, well, in D.C. world, we're going to start, I'm going to start with the events. I was going to look up another event that just popped up on the radar in the last couple of days. But I don't have everything on that yet. Um, but the USCCA Concealed Carry Expo is coming up November 11th through the 13th in Fort Worth, Ooh. Texas at the convention I've never heard Center. of this. This is interesting. USCCA Concealed Carry, uh, what's it, what does it stand for, USCCA? United States Concealed Carry Association. Okay. Expo. November? 11th through the 13th in Fort Worth. Are you and going? Originally, I was going. Uh, originally, I was all planned and set to go there and help set up and work it because I did uh-huh. last year. And then we got the call that, oh, there's a big event going down in the Keys. I believe it was the 9th through the 13th. I think it starts earlier. Oh. And it's the national I – was, I was looking it up. But I can't find the pamphlet now. It's the speedboat races, apparently. Oh. So, yeah. So, DC Project, are, are you sponsoring speedboats? No, but that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Why not? Uh, but but uh, well, I'm sure you got to have a little bit of money for that. But anyway. Well, they should be sponsoring um, you guys then. Cool. We could have, we could have <laughs> a, teal, the, yeah. a teal boat. That'd be awesome. Teal speedboat mm-hmm. running around there. Stand out yeah. like crazy. Yeah, called the, I like called that. the teal duck boat. <laughs> duck boat? I don't think so. I don't like that. Well, actually, I drove, um, but, I, I drove uh, ducks as a as a tour guide. Uh, you, you know the ducks from World War Two, the, uh, the the landing craft that yeah. had wheels and an engine. Yeah. And they used to drive up on the beach. Okay, I used to drive those um, for a ride the ducks <laughs> in San Francisco. So, I mean, duck boats. I know about duck boats. <laughs> Trust me, I know more than I want to know about duck boats. Driving through the city in the narrow streets and then plunging into San Francisco Bay. It was hysterical. The, the things I do to make a living never cease to amaze me. Well, but yeah, anyway. but, but that, I don't think that could go very fast. I'm just guessing. I mean, the, the current was as fast as the duck boat. So if the current was strong enough, you weren't going anywhere. <laughs> it was really yeah, funny. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the, so you, the speedboat, are you doing that just for fun? Because it sounds like a great thing to go go watch. No, we were invited there to put up. We're having a table. We're working five days. Oh, okay. So that's great. Yeah, we're, we're actually, so I've been pulled off the USCCA. So, but still, uh-huh. we're, there's, there's girls going to be there. <clears throat> so stop hmm. by there if you're in that area. Also, yeah. there is a raffle for a Ruger 1911 Commander for the USCCA. It's going to be offered off, uh, mm-hmm. raffled off on Sunday at noon. The what's that? The 12th, I believe it is. Not the third. Yeah, the 12th. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can go online and buy your tickets if you go to dcproject.info. Go to shop and then scroll all the way to the bottom, and you'll see an. I think there's now three drawings going on. I don't remember what all the guns are. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's interested, you can buy your tickets online as well. Wow. Yeah, yeah. gun raffles are fun. Yeah. Um, the speedboat races, I mean, I've always been intrigued by those. A lot of times they, they took World War II airplane engines, which was a really, uh, you know, the, the guys that, that love the, uh, the World War II planes, the Mustangs and the, some of the other fighters. They're like, you're taking my 
airplane engine, you put it in a boat. <laughs> you know, but an engine's an engine, right? <laughs> and so, uh, so apparently the World War II airplane engines make some of the best boat engines. I don't know if they do that anymore. That'd be an interesting question. But uh, speedboat races, you know, that big white tail. If you want to sound really cool, just say, hey, great rooster tail behind that speedboat. I think that's what they're called. You know, the big white trail that pops yeah. up? Rooster tails. Yeah. So if you say that, you'll, you look really well informed. So, you know, that's, that's my hatred. <laughs> I think it would take more than that, but thanks for that. Well, no, it's a start. You know, say, ask them if they're still using air, World War II airplane engines. There's another thing that'll, uh, that'll, that'll boost you up. A um, little different question here. I want to talk about both these things, uh, especially USCCA. But uh, I don't know if it's possible, and I, I don't even know if you can ask, but is there any way that, uh, you know, you could talk action radio as, as a reporter from here, just have a little section of your table, talk about a citizen legislature or just say that, you know, take our gun bills, maybe have um, some information on them, like a, a, a link to the gun bills or anything like that. I'd love to work with you guys because you, you get to more places than I do. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I, I do a lot of work from right here, <laughs> you know, because it's just, that, that's what it takes to get this, this whole operation going. Uh, is that possible to ask to, to say, you know, here, we support, you know, action radio citizen legislation, you know, here's one that uh, does tax credits for gun purchases or something like that. Or do you want to stick just to DC project stuff? And you can tell me off the air. This is just a question I'm sort of, uh, you know, putting out here. I'd be curious. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm just kind of think you can't, I can't, you said, well, I can check on it. I don't see that it'd be a, any, the only problem is it's, it's hard to cover everything when people are coming up, but maybe if there was a flyer, if they let me put a flyer out there, that'd be something that they could read on and take with them. Yeah. To actually, yeah, because you, when I was there, of course I was working alone. It was, you had to kind of turn and burn, you know, you had people walking by and you were working with this one person and you move on to the next person. So you try to get your point across as quickly as possible before you lose interest because, you know, people our instantaneous society that we have, we lose interest pretty quick on things. Yeah. And yeah. social media is teaching us. And I'm finding well, it myself. And I go, oh, my gosh, look it. i got to read all that. <laughs> How <laughs> terrible am I getting? That it's video is five minutes long. What are they, crazy? <laughs> Gee, I know. Right. <laughs> we do a three-hour show. Um, well, what I think I'll do then. Oh, yeah. Well, when I do um, – Whenever I do a, a, a convention or a show or an exhibition or, or anything or a political event or things like that, I don't have brochures. I don't have cards. I don't have anything. What I do is I, I, I take one of my business cards, blow it up, and have people take a picture of it with their phone because people lose materials. They get rid of everything, you know, cards, you know, pamphlets. They all go, but nobody gets rid of their phone. So if you have something that people can take a picture of, just like I say, blow up a business card or blow up something, or just have something they can say, here, take a picture of this with your phone. They'll always have that. I find that a far more effective marketing technique. Well, that's a good idea. Good idea. Yeah, because yeah. stuff doesn't go away. Yeah, nothing blows away. There's no litter. You know, you just stick yeah. stuff right to the table, and they take a picture, and then, believe me, they always have their phone. You know, and every that's time true. they go to pictures, you know, there's your, there's your uh, brochure right in front of them again. So, you know. That's little, true. Little, That's true. Nobody, nobody, everybody's lost without their phone these days. It's like, exactly. Oh, I never thought. Yeah. I never thought I'd be that way, but it's gotten to that point, and I'm like, oh my gosh, y'all, it's a freaking phone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, I remember but, when phones actually were for phone calls. You know, exactly. cameras. Cameras were for taking pictures. You know, and, and I then we had that an answer for so long. I yeah. thought I didn't. I didn't get my. Everyone's getting cell phones, and I was like, no. And that worked. You know, I was IT director, and they'd go, well, what if we need to get a hold of you? And I said, well, I'll be here in the morning. 
want a cell phone. I don't want a cell phone. Right. And now I got a cell phone. Yeah. And now some people have two, some even three. But yeah. Why? Um, so Are they that important? Oh, okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, we should get back to you your report. No, I think it's also about just keeping things separate, which I can understand that totally. You know, yeah. work. I have different emails. Personal. Yeah. I got my public huh? email. You know, my public email, greg at writeyourlaws.com. And then I have personal emails, which I don't talk about on the air for obvious reasons. <laughs> they wouldn't be personal anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I know. I ended up with, I think I've got, I'm up to three or four emails. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, how did this all happen? I oh, you're more understand. important than me. Wow. I'm impressed. That's good. No, not at all. I just know, I want to keep everything separate. That's that's the thing because it's easier mm-hmm. that way to, to keep keep an eye on what's going on. Yep. But then again, then you give them the wrong wrong email address and they send it to the wrong place and then it gets lost because that's like your junk email because everybody's got to yeah, have exactly. a junk email. I think that's where my, my press releases go because you know it's like uh, you know I talk about people. Hey, did you get my press release? No. Have you checked your junk folder? Oh, there it is. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, do you, can you tell me more about the, the, the Concealed Carry Association Expo? Because that sounds fascinating. Um, yeah, I can. I don't remember how many. They had quite a few vendors I thought last year. That was my first year. And they just mm-hmm. have different vendors for different types of holsters. They actually run classes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see here. I was just on that site. I can... Uh, yes, here we go. Um, but it, it, it was, I didn't get to go to watch any of the classes, but they had some great speakers. Um, uh, let's see where are we at here. No, no, that's not the right. Oh, oh wait, hold on here. I'm looking yeah, take your time. It's live radio. <laughs> no, you it's live radio. Yeah. It's live radio. And, we don't care. Oh, yeah, so, we'll get there. You know, they have they, like a normal exhibit kind of like, show in a smaller version mm-hmm. um, they have different seminars like on day one some of their seminars are intruder awareness and church security reality based mm. training two in one that is interesting yeah. and that is worn by Donna Anthony one of our uh, DC project delegates wow. I, or she might still be a state director for Alaska and she is also a police chief recently, I believe. I'm not remembering that correctly. Sounds like a potential guest here. <laughs> you know, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of them. Then oh, the next, yeah. There's another session, the Women's Introduction to Handguns. That's mm-hmm. Beth Alcazar, another one of our D.C. Project ladies. And she mm-hmm. is the state delegate for Alabama, I believe. Well, and that's that's we our neighbor. Handgun pro- yeah. yeah, Handgun Protection and Retention. We have a lot of, lot of great seminars here, countering the mass shooter threat. Uh, that's Michael Martin. And that's and on and on, this is just one day. Active Shooter Survival Workshop with Dave Young. So they're, they're coming a lot of good stuff. And then the last part of the day is Ask an Attorney. Hmm. Yeah. So Let's see have, if you can get an answer. <laughs> That's the subheading. Yeah, so we're talking three days of classes, seminars, as well as exhibit halls. Um, and it looks like maybe it's the same. Are they the same seminars? No, there's some different ones, too. Um, this is interesting. Talk uh, about uh, this. Are they advocating anything? To the, I'm sorry. I'll go ahead. Yeah, finish. That was just another another. Look like an interesting class. It's really a lot oh, of close quarter classes. shooting? Yeah. 
You know, what do you do if you're in a crowded mall? There's people everywhere, and yet there's some there's an assassin there. You know, I mean, that's a different mm-hmm. consideration. Um, but I was thinking, do they do political advocacy, and and do they uh, are there different other classes like on open carry versus concealed carry? Do they do they talk about open carry, or are they are they kind of limited to concealed carry? Just curious. Um, well, I don't see anything on that. AR-15 for home defense. It's, it's a lot about defense, home defense on the body, personal defense, whether you're carrying, mm-hmm. uh, how you're carrying, off body, on body. So they have a lot of different uh, they have demos as well. And they like this one. Beth is doing range etiquette 101. That's always good for the new shooter. Hey, that's oh, yeah. important. Yeah, you got to know I mean, the, the nicest, most polite people on the shooting range. Uh, not because everybody has a gun, but because they're people that shoot, that, that shoot are generally really nice people. Um, exactly. What's so, the, yeah. yeah. So I got a question. A lot of good classes. Go ahead. A lot of great people to meet. Uh, a lot of great mm-hmm. vendors there. Are there are there yeah. new schools of thought as to how to carry? Because I know the traditional, if you're a right-handed person, you're going to carry on, you know, on your right side. And if you're sitting in a car in the driver's seat, you know, your gun is under your shirt, it's under the seatbelt, it's under everything else. It's pretty much inaccessible. Um, and yet we have, you know, excuse me, one of the major crimes now is, is carjacking. Um, so are there thoughts to two guns, you know, carrying a cross-draw gun, uh, a, a, a left shoulder holster, which would be accessible to your right hand? You know, in in a car situation, do they have like car carry? I think that's that's probably a subject that's neglected quite a bit. It's one thing when you're walking around, you, know, you got your gun accessible, but in a car, car carry is different than than walk around carry. That, that's true, and I have seen some posts about that. Um, sadly enough, I didn't take the at that time. I didn't have the time to watch the videos. They did discuss it. I'll have to see if I can find that sometime. But that would probably be a good topic for them to. Address. It looks like now everything's, you know, they've got their schedule out there. But, um, yeah, that would be something, a good thing to address because you're right. And that that has been brought up as an issue if you are right-handed. Um, so, but there, there, people did have some response to that. But like I said, I did not watch that. Um, but since I'm left-handed, it's still a little awkward. Well, but. lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, isn't that great? Maybe I should just learn to shoot left-handed, which I can do. Um, what yeah, I was thinking actually also, is, it, go ahead. You have, you have a lot of different options when you get into a car too, as well as, um, yeah. you know, if you're going to carry on your body. There's certain things that uh, I guess you can stick on your car and still have it concealed because it has to be concealed in some state. So, <laughs> all of the pop-up uh, ones in the center console, you know, where you keep, you know, your where all your your, your candy and hand sanitizer and all and maps and all the stuff. No, well, nobody has maps anymore. But all the stuff that uh, people keep there, there's like this ejector thing that pops your gun up. You know, you open the Ooh, lid and hit cool. a button. Yeah, it is. And there's some like magnet things and all kinds of other stuff. Um, I'm thinking just a, a like a cross draw holster, but the problem with that is it's hard to conceal. It's it's easier in a car. Mm-hmm which is concealing you anyway, pretty much. But if uh, this is why open carry is so critical because open carry actually opens up concealed carry options that aren't, that are maybe a little harder to conceal like a cross draw holster, which would be much more effective exactly. for right-handed people in a car, you know, but it's going to be more visible. People are going to see it. And this is why we have to normalize this out of guns and open carry is critical. So I'm hoping that in the concealed carry association, uh, they spend some time with open carry and lobbying for it uh, because it's going to help conceal carriers. 
and people won't worry about occasionally, you know, the gun prints. In other words, they see the outline of the gun under a shirt, especially in the, in the hotter climates like Florida. Uh, or people are worried about if their gun actually falls out of their holster, which it shouldn't if you have a decent holster. But, you know, people worry about that. That was my concern you know, when I first started carrying. And one of my first trips was to my bank. <laughs> you know, when I get there, the armored car is there with the guys in the cash. And I'm walking by them for the first time, you know, uh, carrying a gun. I'm like, this is different. <laughs> You know, said, please, please don't let it fall out. Please don't let it fall out. You know, yeah, timing is everything in it. <laughs> oh, yeah, life, life is great. Yeah. Well, when you first started carrying, did you did you have like mental, you know, question things that you know, please don't let this happen, kind of thing? Oh yeah, I mean, because it, it's the first time you're out there and you go, oh, I have a firearm on me, and uh, it it started out. Well, you know, when I, I worked as a general manager at a gun club, I was carrying openly every day. That was like part of my uniform. So you kind of got used to that. But the idea that I was out in public and I was concealing it, because anytime you say concealed, everything in your head goes, oh, I've got to hide it. You know, mm-hmm. I've got to hide it. Which is not the, the right mentality for that. Concealed carry is to help yourself, to be able to defend yourself. And um, I also wanted to add the USCCA, what, what the USCCA is. It's, it's a company. It basically provides insurance for if you have to defend yourself. Oh, that's so who you they are. A, okay. Yeah. You yeah. become I a member of USCCA. And mm-hmm. then if you have to defend yourself in any situation, whether it be in your home or out in public, you would call them. And depending on – there's different levels of membership. They provide you with an attorney. Um, they provide you if you get arrested because there is that possibility until things get sorted out. They provide you with your bond money, your bail money. Um, so they have. There's a lot of lot of good things that they provide, and I always recommend any of my students that you look at the different ones. There's there's more than one, mm-hmm. not just that's my mine, the one I choose, but to actually have a, a become a member of one of these, it's, I think is very important. Because in today's society, you never know. You might need their help. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this is the whole reason. It's the same mentality. You know, why are you carrying a gun in the first place? You know, because uh, are you going to run into a situation? Most likely, no. But somebody does. You know, lightning, lightning doesn't strike, you know, uh, a lot of people. It's very rare that somebody actually gets, but people do get struck by lightning. It's the same kind of thing. <clears throat> so you have to prepare for that because, you know, stuff happens. Um, but that's, uh, but the whole concealed carry, it'd be interesting if they could ever locate in a state. Uh, I don't think they'd be too welcome in Los Angeles or Chicago, you know, or, or I don't know, D.C. <laughs> I mean, D.C. has a lot of conventions, but, you know, they're not going to have this one. Yeah, and I think I heard that they were signed up for being in Dallas for another two or three years. Okay. Uh, and another thing that I, I do for DC Project, I am as the Florida State Director. We're talking about defending yourself. I do post mm-hmm. a story, and one of our hashtag is Teal for Two A, and I call it the Teal for Two A Tuesday, which shows mm-hmm. how somebody used a firearm to defend, defend themselves. And last Tuesday, I posted one, and this happened to be a jewelry store owner. He had to defend himself against four armed robbery suspects. This happened in Orlando at the Magic Mall. And it was during I think I've heard of this one, just, but I don't know the just, details, so this would be just good. before yeah. noon on a Friday. Oh, great. That, I mean, it wasn't even – it was right smack dab in the middle of the day. Um, four people, at least one of them, had a weapon, entered the store. 
and the store owner opened fire when he ascertained, ascertained an alleged armed robbery being attempted. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, that sounds like he, a lawyer wrote that. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's why I was trying to, because okay. that's another thing I was going to bring up, because there's a couple of statements in here that were just like that, and I went, interesting. And this is from um, Click on Orlando uh, uh-huh. report. Okay. So uh, one of the four suspects was killed at the scene. The other three fled. However, one of the three who fled had also been shot and was pronounced dead upon arriving at the hospital. And then there was another, um, oh, I guess that was it. That was the statement. Entered the store and ascertained an alleged armed robbery being attempted. Everything was alleged, attempted, you know. Did they allegedly defend themselves and allegedly kill them too? (laughs) I mean, this this is crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a decision. So, so, so that's a good thing to bring up, especially when you bring up the concealed carry uh, and the insurance in case, you know, and the, the lawyers available in case something happens. This is the way the society is. Now, do they say in the article that he was a legally, you know, legally carrying, legally uh, gun owning uh, store owner? I mean, you know, is that in there somewhere too? That's usually what happens. They, they, they have normally prove- have that, but this one did not actually say it that way. Oh, no. that's interesting. No. Let's okay. see. I killed him inside his store and nope nope usually they do that they mm-hmm. legally concealed carry they had a legal they had a license to do you know they, yeah. they'll have to put that in there what's well, probably because it's Florida um, you know and what are the laws in Florida for store owners I mean you know anybody can carry concealed just so I'm wondering if they just had a regular concealed carry permit which which is valid whether you're the owner or a customer uh, and this is like I said being Florida might make a difference you know in a place like uh, Illinois where there are much stricter laws you'd have to prove that you were legally caring and that you exercised your rights legally because they're gonna have to do this anyway too but it's it's a different standard uh, in some of these different places that's why I'm curious uh, the language um, but that's that's that that language is probably for the court cases that's, that's gonna come up inevitably um, you know but I'm just curious well, yeah, yeah and then uh... Um, also, USCCA does, they, they provide the different gun laws. You can look up if you're traveling because you're mm-hmm. bringing up different states. It's very important if you're traveling and you're carrying a firearm that you know what the laws are in that state so that you do not unintentionally break them. So they have a little, you can go to their website and you can click on a state and find out what their state laws are for transporting a gun in your car. Uh, if uh, there's reciprocity. Um, between the states or not. So that's what I was going to ask you about, yeah, reciprocity. In other words, in Florida, you know, uh, most states, I imagine, are open to us to carry, except for the liberal states. Is that fair to say? Like, you know, California, Oregon, Washington might be a problem. You know, Maryland, um, New York, Pennsylvania, the New England states, that's probably a problem. Uh, I'm guessing Illinois, maybe not Michigan, but Illinois certainly, and maybe Wisconsin too. So where, where are the states we can't carry from Florida? Where are the states that are out of the reciprocity thing? Sort of a good thing for people, people to know. Uh, give me one moment. Oh, this is great. We, we get instant look up here. I love this. This is fun. You just have to, you have to uh, entertain while I type. <laughs> oh, I, I can do that. Well, this is, there's a lot of stuff going on. Well, one of the things I'm going to talk about later in the show, because Mike's not going to be here, so we've got Derek coming up in half an hour, uh, and we're going to talk about the economy. But there's so much going on. I've got an article on why governments love inflation. 
and we've got uh, different things. We're going to talk about the, the interest rates are up seven over 7% for houses. We're going to talk about uh, the GDP did improve uh, 2.6%, so the economy did grow a little bit, but it's not what you think. It's not as good as you think, and we're still COVID recovering, and I think a lot of it has to do with international trade. It's not so much that uh, our economy is growing that much, so we're going to talk about that too. Let me play something. You want, need another minute? Uh, no, I'm good. So okay, reciprocity for Florida, um, mm-hmm. there's three categories, no, yes, and then with restrictions. So we're going to talk about the no states. Mm-hmm. The no states would be Washington, Oregon, mm-hmm. California, mm-hmm. Minnesota, Illinois, New York, uh, Illinois, D.C., Rhode Island, uh, New York, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Connecticut. I pretty well called that, Those, except for New Jersey and, uh, and a couple yeah. others. But yeah, the New England states, the Northeast, uh, Minnesota. So Michigan is, is is good. See, Michigan's a weird state. You have Democrat cities, but you got a lot of hunters there. Michigan That's where New is, is with restrictions. Oh, okay. Yeah, the ones that are fully with no restrictions are New Hampshire, Vermont, Delaware. Georgia, Mississippi, Arkansas, Indiana, South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, and Idaho. All the oh. other states have some kind of restriction, and each one's going to be a little bit different. Oh, Hawaii is a no. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, Hawaii. Definitely Hawaii is a no. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. Puerto Rico is a no. Forgot about that. I had to scroll mm-hmm. the map down. And actually, the map I'm looking at is a USCCA map. <laughs> oh, okay. So if I, if I get to Guam, am I okay there or what? I'm just teasing you. American uh, Samoa? I don't know. <laughs> you don't have to do that. Yeah. Well, do you, you know, in fact, now does CC Project, uh, are they working towards national reciprocity, which, of course, that's what the Second Amendment is, you know, because any, any kind of restriction on reciprocity is a, an infringement on the Second Amendment. So technically, they can't do that. No state can do that. You know, full faith and credit in the Commerce Clause. I mean, there's many ways that Congress could fix this situation. They don't. But they certainly could. Well, yeah, right. I mean, if if it was a, in a perfect world, the Second Amendment, we wouldn't have to wouldn't have, de- have any deviation between, between any states and just you know carry yeah, yeah. constitutionally. So, yeah. and, that, and that's yeah. what the Commerce Clause is for, so that you have you know you're able to to do things, you know, buy things, transport things, and all that kind of stuff across state lines. Um, I don't know if we finished the the, uh, the story in Orlando because I think more to that. And I, I was thinking as we were talking about that, when you teach firearms, you know, there's people want a line. They want to know when to shoot, when not to shoot. Go, no go. And I, I did some training in this, you know, for my brief career in federal law enforcement. Had the movies and the instructions and the whole bit. Uh, it was fabulous training. But at what point would a store owner, you know, decide yes, this is a deadly threat? Uh, you know, do they have to decide whether it's just a robbery and not a deadly threat or is a robbery itself a, a deadly threat? You know, what, what, what are the criteria that you know of for Florida? You know, if you're a store owner and four people walk in, at what point um, can you exercise your, your rights to defend yourself with lethal force? I mean, that's a question, you know, it's not really defined in law. It's more of a practical matter, I'm thinking. Although law will apply. It- yeah, I'm I'm sure there's it's a great explanation for that. And that guy that used to follow my uh, my segment, what was his name? <laughs> he would probably know the answer to that. Yeah, yeah we're gonna miss Jim. Uh, I'll tell you right now. Oh my I, gosh, I'm gonna, yes. See, he, I'm gonna miss Jim he reporting. He's right now. This is his time. 
He'd yeah. be right here and he'd have yeah. the answer because he's done law enforcement as well. And he's been a Second Amendment advocate for so long. Oh, he's perfect. Yeah, well, let's hope he can come back. Maybe, maybe we, you know, in time, maybe uh, he can work, uh, you know, his, his particular situation where he can come back and drop in. You know, let me talk to his boss, his new boss. Hey, yeah, Jim's got a function here. We, we miss him already. Yeah, Jim was great. Yeah, um, but I would think that if someone's coming, you know, blatantly, if you see a, a firearm, obviously mm-hmm. your life is in danger. They came in uh, with, you know, they're, they're going to do some kind of harm. Mm-hmm. So that would be, uh, but to, if someone came in and they're going to rob you with, uh, and you don't think they have, well, you don't think they have any um, tools to to do you bodily damage, but that doesn't mean they couldn't beat you or anything else. Um, so I don't know. Don't really know that direct answer to that question, or if there is a solid answer. You know, each case could be handled it, you know, independently and differently, depending on the exact situation and, and depending on your attorney, I would imagine as well. Um, well, that's why I asked because sorry, I'm no. thinking to myself, there's, there's the legal requirements, but you don't have, in a situation like that, you don't have time to think of the legal requirements. You've got four people in your store, you know, uh, you know and then you have to, I mean, the, the totality of the situation really applies. So are, are we talking about four people in hoodies that are, that are looking with, walking in with hammers to break your, your, you know, your jewelry cases? That's a robbery. Okay, I don't, I don't need to interpret that. <laughs> I know exactly what that is. Um, but, uh, and the fact is, but even a property crime or just four people walking into your store that are threatening you, you can still draw your firearm. Now, the question is then, can you use it? And at what point would you do that? Would you have to, do you have to wait for another gun to be pointed at you or the fact that they have a gun is that, you know, I mean, this, these are the judgment questions and this is the, uh, you, you can only teach so much about this because every situation is different, but you know, uh, does DC project have some guidelines or, or how do you do it? When you, when you teach something like this for store owners or homeowners, you know, or anything like well, that. How? To, Go ahead. I, I just tell them, you know, start with you have to be mentally prepared to defend yourself. You have to d- decide right before the event, before you're put in that situation, are you ready to defend yourself? Mm-hmm. And mentally, you kind of put that in your head. I mean, I, I had to ask myself that same question. To what level was I willing to go to defend myself? Mm-hmm. So that that's the first, I think that's the first thing you have to do. And then if you feel your life is threatened, uh, we, we've talked about this before. Uh, a tiny 98-pound woman is going to feel threatened with a six-foot, 200-pound guy that's being aggressive with her. That mm-hmm. could be life-threatening. So it, it's there's, it's hard because there's no black and white answer. There's so much gray area and all this stuff. But mm-hmm. you you also have to be aware that. Um, after, if you have to defend yourself, the situation afterwards, you have to be mentally thinking about, if I had to, what would I do? What do I do afterwards? Because it doesn't stop with just you defending yourself and if you had to shoot somebody. But you also mm-hmm. have to get the interaction with law enforcement afterwards and then getting your attorney and everything. So you have there – are, there are great – USCCA does a great one as that. I watched a video by Masad Ayu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know him. Say his name yeah. wrong. And he talked about the he talked about the five point the five what do you call it five part checklist after you have to defend yourself. And I actually watched that recently, and it was very good. I mean, and it's something you have to think about and get it in your your thoughts and in your head. And because 
you know, so it comes a little natural. At least you know you have a plan. If you don't have a plan, who knows what's going to happen. But if you have a plan in mind, odds are your mind's going to follow that plan if you've already gone through these five steps or or whatever, whoever you're listening to, to figure out what to do after a, a an encounter where you have to defend yourself. Yeah, I think um, it's, a, it's an escalation. You know, four people walk in, you might think, okay, this could be a problem. Four people walk in and, and start, you know, staring at you and acting aggressively, you know, it's time to put your hands on your gun. You know, four people walk in, one of them, you know, has a weapon or starts smashing things and or someone else is coming towards you, it's time to bring the gun out. You know, they get too close, it's it's time to use it. You know, so the, you kind of go through, does that make sense? This guy had customers. This guy had, you have to think about that too, Mm -hmm. you know, safety of his customers. Here, I'm going to, this is kind of weird, the way this was all typed up, but, you know, I can only go with what I've been on this report. Mm -hmm. Uh, A customer inside the store described the scene where the first suspect died, saying, jewelry was all around him. Some jewelry was out still. Then he added, People were already gone and dead by the time the cops had got there. <laughs> this is this is just when I read it, I went, okay, it's part of the story, but just just the way it's written, I'm going, really is that well, what he said? Yeah. And then it gets a little different too. A mall vendor named Peter Lopez observed, one of them got shot. He's dead behind the counter. The other one, they left in a car, and he's up on Tampa Avenue. I don't know how he knew where they were. <laughs> he died as well. <laughs> I mean, it goes, I mean, this was a robbery, and the owner had a firearm, so he defended it. It's- well, he shot multiple <laughs> times, too. It, it, first of all, now, if somebody's behind the counter, that's a threat. <laughs> Nobody goes behind the counter. Exactly. So that's, there's a real clear line. The line's been crossed. You're behind the counter, you know, and, and at that point, uh, dangerous. And I remember the police say 21 feet. You know, if someone has a knife at 21 feet, they can kill you before you can draw, aim, and fire your gun. So think of of this as a minimum distance. So if someone's behind the counter five feet away, oh, yeah, they're definitely a threat to you, Uh, an immediate threat. Now, the other one, do we know about the – so that one was shot and killed and died behind the counter. So that's pretty cut-and-dry case right there. So the other other person, do we know – do you have a description of what they did and how they ended up uh, getting shot? Somehow, what was there? Some, well, he, he must have shot this someone else. He must have shot two people. One died there, and the other one, well, that's, they that's left in the car the and ended up. Yeah. Huh? Well, I'm they curious left in the, the car, other. and then he died there. Okay. Did they say how many shots were fired? No. Did the no. criminals fire any shots? It does not say that. Huh. And I even went to more detail. I know I try to find as much detail, but it's, it's really hard. It really is. You click mm-hmm. on this story and you try to find that story. And usually it's one story and everybody copies it. After like the second or third one, I'm like, oh, that's identical to what that one yeah, had. Yeah, exactly so what happened. Every, yeah. I guess they're all tied together somehow. I, or they <laughs> put the story in, in um, somewhere and everybody grabs the same story. Nobody yeah. does their own Nope. No independent interrogation reporting. Interrogation or research. Yeah. Well, let me ask one Pianki question. Uh, does it describe the race of the perpetrators and the store owner? Uh, nope. All I have is the only name I have was the vendor, uh, Peter Lopez. So no okay. other than that, no. So we can't assume Hispanic, but, uh, you know, I mean, like I say, it's just, and that's another thing that's left out. 
you know, a lot of times black perpetrators there are left out. There was a, a case that something Pianchi pointed out yesterday when he talked about the, uh, the student, uh, the former student, the assassin that killed the students at this art school uh, somewhere in the Northeast. You know, they said he was a 19-year-old former student, but they didn't say he was black. Now, uh, it's just interesting that the race is either conveniently put in, you know, if they want to demonize white Christian males, or conveniently left out if they want to change the narrative on, on, on other races. That's part of the exactly. that's part of the discussion too. Yeah, too bad. Yeah. And that's what the media does. You know, it's mm-hmm. whatever their objective is. Does it fit their narrative? If not, mm-hmm. well, we'll just leave that fact out. Or mm-hmm. if it does, well, we're just going to impress upon everybody that that's what happened, and then mm-hmm. exploit that portion of it and not even tell the whole story. Yeah. Do you know about the Oregon situation at all? There's like ballot initiative 114. I got my friend Laurie. I've asked her to call in when she's awake. <laughs> she's in Oregon. So hopefully the the uh, the top of this hour. But um, is that in part of your report at all? Have you looked into that? No, I did see. I did start reading. I can't remember what it was, but you did send me some. I started to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, where did it go? Let me do a little. See if I can find it up oh, in the wrong place. Oh, you always talk about what you wanted to talk about. <laughs> I think I've kind of monopolized. No, that's good. I mean, oh, okay, I was definitely sure. with my uh, okay my report, but. Uh, let me see if I can call it up real quick. Because there was something else that happened this weekend. What's it in called? Guns it 114? Too. Ballot Initiative 114, yeah. See if I can get the gun group. We'll go search madly away. Oh, Measure 114. There we go. Requires permit to acquire firearms. Police maintain permit. Firearm database criminally prohibits certain ammunition magazine. Oh, magazine restrictions. That's right. That's right. Is it the usual it's kind stuff? Kind of like it. Yeah, I think it was kind of because when I started reading it, oh, it sounds like California. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see if I can get something more. Same old stuff. Mm-hmm. Sounds like about the same. Lying down the heart. Um, yeah, because I, I knew they were talking about limiting the magazines. Oh, the age. The age was another thing. Oh, oh well, no, the age. their minimum age for buying a gun, 18, oh, for most, 21 for some handguns. So that would not change. Apparently, they already have a law about that. Okay. Uh, it would require a permit in order to buy a gun. The permit costs $65. It's good for five years. After that, a $50 renewal would be required. Mm-hmm. The buyer would be Damn. fingerprinted and have to go through mandatory safety training. The buyer must undergo a criminal background check and could take up to 30 days, replacing the current three-day waiting period. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. This is a go. Go away. Uh, mm-hmm. The backers of 114, of course, they say the current system is not working. <laughs> that's because um, they fired all the police. <laughs> that, that, somewhere I read that. I think there was an article you sent. I remember that because crime's gone up, and then someone pointed out it's because you know you, you because the police aren't allowed to do their job. Um, oh yeah, you defund the police. You you have uh, no no bail, no cash bail. You release the criminals on their own recognizance, and they gee, they commit the same crime again. What a surprise! That just happened in New York. So the subway, you know, thrusters the people that are there are, are tragically throwing people onto the tracks in front of trains. You know, one guy did that. 
was arrested and was out again because they don't have bail, right? They don't have cash bail uh, and did exactly the same thing again, like two days later, you know? So it's uh, so this is easy to understand why this happens. So, you know, this is, this is again, the blaming the victim thing. And well, Oregon, do you have a, do you have a DC project uh, in Oregon? Um, I think so. I do not know who that is. Okay. I can't remember meeting her, so I don't know if I've ever actually met her. Yeah. I think there's more like four or five states that we don't have. I'm not sure if that's one of them or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, uh. Let's see. I'm trying to think. See if there's anything else. That's yeah. Well, that might be for maybe next week, or we've got. To, we've got oh, the, Oregon, so. the sheriff's association opposes the measure. That's a good. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, I think I remember seeing a report on that. They, they said they can't enforce it because it's going to be so burdensome. And this is actually common with a lot of these things that the uh, the people that draft them don't take into account how they're actually going to be uh, implemented and how much it's going to cost. But quite frankly, they don't care. You know, so it's uh, you know. But what about the blame the victim? This is this is a typical case of, of blame the victim. You know, you're trying to arrest people that are are going to be suffering. You know, they're suffering all these crimes rather than the people that are actually doing it. Uh, and besides the fact that none of those provisions is constitutional, but that doesn't seem to enter but into the that's argument. That's true. They're just they're just you know step, chipping away at the Second Amendment, weakening it. But mm-hmm. um, well, they need. If, why not just enforce the the laws? If someone breaks a law, quit letting them out on the street. Mm-hmm. You know they're going to keep doing it over and over again. But yeah, you keep people keep putting them out there. Yeah. It, that, you like, know, enforcing you know, the laws that are out there yeah. would, would cut down. On yeah. a lot of crime, not just having to do with a firearm, just a lot of crimes in general. General, but no, everybody gets back out and they say, "Oh, I only have to do like a week, so I'll do it again." Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's yeah, exactly. no consequence to their actions like there used to be. Yeah. Or as I explain it, and you can use this one uh, too, feel free. You know, uh, making gun laws against law-abiding citizens is like trying to stop bank robberies by getting rid of the depositors. Yeah. That's how I explain it. Oh, oh. And then you just talked about the victim, right? So here's uh-huh. the line I just saw. Uh, so there are millions of high-capacity magazines already purchased in people's homes. Okay. And now if they do that uh, limitation on, capacity, on magazine capacity, a violation on that ban could be punished for up to nearly a year in jail and a uh-huh. fine of more, of more than $6,200 or both. So the, the – you. If a, a person that has no intention of doing anybody any harm and just has a high-capacity magazine, according to what this new law would be, mm-hmm. is punishable. But he could go, go a, a year in jail, could go to a jail for a year, but a, someone that actually committed a crime is out in days doing it mm-hmm. again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Not because the real crime... Well, no, and this is actually... This is a really important point that you're making, that the real crime to the leftists is being independent. See, criminals are part of the system, whether they're allowed, whether they're kept in or, or, or allowed to go free. They're still part of the system. So, if you were a Marxist and you wanted to uh, um, create the perfect system, what better way to do it than to keep the kim- the criminals free and disarm the the victims? Where do the, where where do people go if they've been disarmed and there are criminals out there that are fully armed? Where do, where do, where are the where's the only place the citizens can go? You know, for help and relief. All right. So, so if you're if you're oh, a Marxist, the government. 
Yeah, the government exactly. That and that's the whole point. Exactly. That this is yeah. this is my theory that criminals are an integral part of dependence. And so the you know, yep. criminals, armed criminals plus disarmed citizens equals government dependence. That's what exactly. I really think this is. You know, so yeah. That's true. Um well, that's gonna be all I have for today. Okay. Well that's cool. That's it. Um, I've got. Uh, I'm trying to think if I have another another gun question for you of things that are happening of late. Um, but yeah, I want to explore some new options. You know, and actually, this is um, a while back. I did this when I when I started being able to uh, get some really nice holsters. I want to get like old Western holsters, you know, for modern guns. And there are actually companies that do that. So I, I could have my my Glock in like a Western holster. You know, that guy. They've got especially when we can carry. You know, so I have like two Glocks. <laughs> You know, in an old-style holster. But uh, that's, that's just one of those things I was thinking about. Or actually, you know, do you ever see, uh, remember the movie Tombstone with um, uh, Kurt Russell and uh, Val Kilmer? Kilmer played uh, Doc Holliday. He had that, like, two-gun shoulder rig that was really fast. I'm thinking, I can look oh, into yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I want to, like... You, you should have been... You, you're in the wrong, you know, you're wrong century or something. You should have been in the wild, wild west, I guess. Well, I know I'm in the wrong century. Well, actually, I'm, you know, I'm a... You know, it's sort of like a, I, it's going to sound arrogant, you know, uh, you know, a revolutionary from the founding times, you know, using modern technology. That's pretty much what we're doing here. So I've got, I'm, I'm the right person mentally and, and uh, f- philosophically, um, but, uh, but I'm also in the right place with the technology. So we are, oh, yeah. you know, we are the pub. We are the, uh, the, the committees of correspondence. We are uh, a parallel structure, as they say, the three ways to get rid of mass psychosis, you know, is, is truth, ridicule, and parallel structures. So we deal in truth. Actually, we do all three of those things. Uh, I certainly ridicule, you know, Dr. Fascist, <laughs> you know, and all the things that we say. All right, I've got some new terms for you, too. Uh, it's not fossil fuels anymore. It's organic fuel. And uh, I, I talk about uh, electric vehicles as fossil fueled vehicles, poke fun at the left. Um, I had another one. The, this, this was a more serious topic, you know, when they're trying to, uh, you know, gender uh, affirming healthcare, you know, they try and, uh, you know, transition the kids, as they say. Uh, I call that Frankenstein medicine. Uh, and there's another term, some other things I've had a thought of, too. Well, may I play one of my funny, funnier pieces? <laughs> you might like this. Ever been to Seattle? Got a couple of minutes? Uh, yeah, I was once years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let me, let me years, years, my, uh, years ago. Let me play you one of my chats. Or do you want to hear the Christmas, my revolutionary Christmas greeting? What's, uh, what's your choice? Ooh, Christmas. I like Christmas. All right, let me, let me, I made this a couple of years ago during the lockdown. This is right before the 2020 Christmas. So uh, I think you'll get a kick out of this one. Here we go. Hello, everyone. It's that time of year again. So here is just a friendly little message from your Action Radio revolutionaries. In preparation for Christmas and New Year's, we have just a few ideas and suggestions to make your holiday complete. Granted, these are times of adversity brought about by bureaucrats in what we affectionately call the leftist lockdown orgasmic power trip. But don't let a completely illegal, martial law-style abdication and removal of your constitutional rights get in the way of a decent glass of eggnog with friends. After all, six-foot social distancing is a completely false concept for a virus that can linger in the air for hours in aerosol form, can be sneezed well over 200 feet, can travel through an entire 10-story building central air system in a couple of minutes, and goes through a mask like a mosquito through a chain-link fence. So, no matter what you do, 
Everyone is getting exposed sometime. Leaving the healthy people alone accomplishes this in about 10 weeks. So, this should have been done the end of May. Speaking of masks, besides being a violation of your Fourth Amendment rights against seizure of your person, in this case, your face, without due process, the state can't make you wear a mask. So, go home if you're sick, but if not, go free face, as all real Americans are doing, and enjoy the Christmas season. Apparently, there is a deplorable lack of New Year's resolutions this year. Well, I have one, hmm, to resist. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to restore and rejuvenate that inner rugged individual the left has tried so hard to put behind a mask and lockdown, and I'm going to resist. So, you find a creative way to resist, there's your revolution resolution. Remember, folks, those Twilight Zone episodes where people wore masks? They were supposed to make you think, not make you copy them. Family values should be emphasized this Christmas with the traditions that bind us together. Sit as close as you can at dinner. Remember those wet kisses from Grandma when you were a kid? Engage in spirited debates. Don't forget to use serving dishes where everyone sticks their own personal fork and spoon in, all in the interest of sharing. Remind everyone that closing churches violates the First Amendment. Closing businesses without criminal convictions violates our Fifth Amendment right to life, liberty, and property. And closing schools denies our kids their right to an education. So, you may want to point that out to your governors and mayors this festive season so they understand their transgressions and can repent. I would have suggested you go to New York this year, but quite frankly, they don't have the balls to celebrate New Year's. (laughs) No, really, the ball isn't dropping. Maybe we should rename Times Square Tiananmen Square West. Remember that there are many great gifts you can share this Christmas, particularly AR-15s and AK-47s. Those tend to warm the heart. As we say at Action Radio, world peace through strength. Just remember that everything the government tells you is wrong. So if you want to avoid COVID, don't take the vaccine. Go to the beach instead. Get that sunshine and vitamin D. Stay away from home. Engage in commerce and business. Travel as much as you can. Work out at crowded gyms. Drive extensively, preferably with the windows open. Patronize businesses that are in open rebellion. And resist, resist, resist the doctor dictatorship. In closing, let me just say Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Happy Hanukkah. Muslims, you don't have a holiday at this time, so just go eat Chinese food on Christmas Eve and meet some really nice Jewish folks. Hey, they might be your neighbors. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio. Cena, doesn't that make you feel all warm and fuzzy for Christmas? <laughs> oh, it does. That's, that's a good one. I like that. Mosquito through a chain link fence. That's another good one, too. Oh, that, no, that actually was good. a... Yeah, that actually was a line that uh, the doctors were using. Yeah, um, yeah. So oh, that's really? uh, oh yeah, no, that, that's for real. Yeah, um, that's because viruses are so small. I mean, the mass that's what makes them so useless is that the the nanoparticle size of a virus is so much smaller um, than the uh, the fibers. You know, the fibers are huge spaces. I used to say a mosquito through a garage door because that, that's a better example. But yeah, yeah, they're they're absolutely useless. In fact, the uh, town hall, a bunch of parents uh, took their their masks after the kids wore them for one day to a lab. Uh, and then they reported to Town Hall. Town Hall, I think Katie Pavlis wrote this big article about two or three, about two years ago, uh, talking about all the things that they found in the mask after a day, you know, pneumonia, bacteria, you know, germs of every description. You know, uh, they, they cultured the, the mask. It was pretty sickening because it's, it's a Petri dish in front of your face. They're actually really exactly. dangerous. 
funny how many people, you know, they hang them on their, they were hanging them on their, their car uh, rearview mirrors and, and then wearing oh. them two, three, four days in a row. And I'm like, Ooh, oh, that's just okay. But it's, yeah. it's funny how, how people have been conditioned already because if they're waiting in line, they might not have masks, but they're like standing so far apart. <laughs> you know, you kind of got to move that line up a little closer because yeah. three people and you're out the door where you should be able to hit five people in the store. Yeah, so it's funny how people get conditioned so easily and so quickly. Yep. Um, but, okay, well, I am going to have to leave. Okay. It's been a great Well, it's been it's fun. Been great spending yeah. time with everybody and chatting about DC Project and Women in Guns. And um, if anyone is interested in getting involved with DC Project, either becoming a member, which is there's no fee for membership for the ladies to join, or becoming a donor or would like to check out our raffles, go to dcproject.info. You can also go to Amazon and check out my book, Heels to Holster. It talks about my uh, survivor of domestic violence and how I went from victim to survivor and using my Second Amendment rights to do that. And let's see, I guess that's all for today. And I want to thank you. Have a good weekend. And this is Shirley reporting for Action Radio. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's great to have you on. And like I say, these reports are getting better and better, so I'm really enjoying them. So have a great week. And I want to, if you can call in from any of these uh, conventions, if they happen to fall on a Friday when you're there, either the um, the, the USCCA or, or the, uh, the speedboat races. I'd love to have like a, like a commentary of the speedboats. This would be kind of cool. So, uh, yeah, feel free to, to <laughs> if you get a chance, you know, you can always, uh, always welcome the call from wherever you are. And let's do it next week. Thank you, Shirley. I'll see you next week. Okay, bye-bye. Goodbye now. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets. Oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government. To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park of Edward Jones Financial Advisors joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the markets and your money. Yeah, it's going to be interesting trying to make sense of this. Uh, I've heard some conflicting things about the uh, uh, the GDP. It's up 2.6%, but that's not really reflective of our economy growing. I've heard it's the international economy and some other factors. So maybe you can kind of enlighten us on, on what this report actually means. And then we can get uh, you know the reports and uh, whatever else comes up. <laughs> We've got some time here. Derek, good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing this morning? Oh, we're on a roll. I just had a great report from Shirley. Uh, I talked about Twitter before that. We should probably talk about Twitter, too. It would be kind of interesting. But uh, I'm really curious about what you know about the uh, these new results. And, of course, then, then the next thing is the interest rates for houses are way up, 7-point-something percent or something like that. So do you want to take Twitter? you want to take GDP? you want to take uh, interest rates? What's, what's your pleasure? So funnily uh, enough, the GDP is the first thing in the in the report this morning. Um, okay. So I would say start with that. let's go ahead and talk about talk about that. But okay, um, you know, so yeah, the the GDP estimate did come in higher, um, mm-hmm. and we can say that's international. We can say that's ours, but understand that we are twenty percent of uh, twenty twenty four percent of the world's GDP. So. Um, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean that we're immune from importing things as well, which mm-hmm. importing pieces of things which contribute to our GDP. So okay. um, I, I don't I don't know that it's necessarily off. I would have to read the actual report and see where it all came from. 
Um, okay. You know, so um, I, I just I, I don't think that, that it would be inaccurate. I mean, I think that this quarter we actually had a decent quarter. Um, Why? Say that we uh, actually had. What changed this quarter? Is it the petroleum supply? Is it uh, what, what? What do you think? What's behind you know a decent I, quarter? I would say it, it is. Yeah. It is supply. It is petroleum. Um, okay. It is the fact that we had two low quarters already. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, typically when you dip like that, behind a dip is is a little bit of a surge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so it, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of common territory the way I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, uh, inflation is still downtrending, you know, I mean, it's still up. I mean, you know, obviously we're still above 8%, which is, is not good, but, um, you know, I mean, it did peak out in June at, at 9.1%, you know, so we went all the way down to 8.1, popped back up to 8.3. Now we're at 8.2. So I don't want to say it's downtrending for the past couple months. It's going sideways. Well, that's interesting because the biggest problem with inflation is the increase. You know, if it's if it's increasing two percent right. a month or whatever, you know, it got up to, all the way up to nine percent. So eight percent is still bad, but it's not as bad as nine, and it's not increasing. So in other words, your money is at a a loss, a stable loss. So when things stabilize, yeah, people can, can work with it. Does that make sense? Good, that's a good bad way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I I, I try. <laughs> But that is kind of funny. But, you know, people can adapt to it, and they, they're making their decisions. They're cutting their demand. Uh, and I'm wondering if some of this isn't, like you've said before, you know, a demand, you know, really controls a lot of this. And this is sort of like pent-up demand. There's only so long people cannot buy things. And, and at some point, they have to. Plus, it's Christmas season. You know, so right. the retailers, this is the retailers are make or break, you know, between now and, and New Year's. That's it. You know, for a lot of retailers, they make, what, half, three-quarters of their money during this time of year. Some even probably make most right. of their, you know, or more. So people, you know, they might have been saving up, and now they're going to start to spend again simply because this is the only time they do spend, <laughs> you know. But, uh, of course, that's fourth quarter. So we won't see Christmas until January reports come out, right, I'm, I'm guessing? Right. Yeah. Okay. Which one say that again? I'm sorry. Well, the fourth quarter reports for, for 2022 are not going to be out until January or something 2023 when oh, they calculate. Oh, yeah, for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So, so okay. I mean, you know, Amazon just came in with, with – um, I don't want to call them bad numbers, but they weren't great. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, their, their stock is uh, getting slaughtered pre-market, um, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, you know, Meta, uh, you know, a.k.a. Facebook, uh, mm-hmm. also came in, you know, pretty bad. So the NASDAQ is, is getting crushed right now. Google came in with, with bad numbers, and it was kind of expected. I mean, all your growth companies, mm-hmm. um, meaning, you know, they they're have to finance a lot of debt, when you run up the the cost of them to finance debt, of course it's going to mute their growth. You know mm-hmm. that means they can't open up you know new new facilities. They can't you know hire new people. You know what I mean so um, you know it's 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 definitely going to cause its problems. Um, you know as soon as we can kind of get past this hump and and you know the Fed can start lowering rates or find a place that they can start you know easing off. Um, you know those companies are definitely going to come back to life. Yeah, why are they raising rates at a time when inflation is stable and even coming down slightly? What's the need, you know, to if, if inflation's not increasing I and mean, it's bad, are they trying to break the inflation with these higher rates, or are they just yeah. just doing what they so should have done that, that's the six goal months is, ago? Is to try to break the inflation with the higher rates. Okay. Um, you know, I I mean, they're they're meeting next week. Um, interestingly enough, I think this this time we're on the hook for a three quarter uh, basis raise. 
Okay. The next one, however, if we have another inflation report that is good or at least decent, um, I, I wouldn't bet that the, the Fed, they can't afford to keep raising rates this rate. You know that. I know that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They can't. The yeah. government can't afford these high rates for long periods of time, right? So, um, you know, the next one, I, I think they may say, hey, let's go a half a percent or even a quarter percent just kind of see if, if we've kind of captured what we needed. And I think really, you know, the market wants to see that, right? The market wants to see when the, when the end is in sight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when the end is in sight, then the market will kind of be like, okay, hey, we can go ahead and recover. Um, you know, but we still got this, you know, dirty recession lurking in the background, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we, we had the two quarters of negative GDP. We just had a quarter of positive GDP. So if we kind of met all those criteria and everything's good, we may just have kind of dipped into recession and kind of popped back out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and well, that two quarters of negative is a short- recession. I mean, that is a recession. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's half a year of right. recession. You know, it didn't start at the end of two quarters. It, it was it started at the beginning of those two quarters, not the end. That's right, right, right. So, so you know, I mean, obviously, when they announce it, though, it's a you know, it's a lagging indicator. You know, what right. I mean? so um, mm-hmm. you know, it, you you have to understand the the uh, economics are backwards looking and the markets are forward looking, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, the markets are going to react to 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 whatever news it is that comes out and then look to how they can correct that, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's 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 going to be very short lived um, if it is called a recession. You know, what I mean, because uh, you know, it just took a while for the market to hit the bottom. You know, and unfortunately, that's the that's the nature of the game. Hmm. A couple of things I've been wondering: um, why the people, you know, the Wall Street folks, the the editorial writers, they haven't called for uh, since COVID's over, as we all know, and since I think most people are back to work, they stopped the unemployment you know, subsidies for people to stay home. Why haven't the, the, the market people said to, uh, you know, called for the government to stop all the spending, to give, to, to cancel any COVID spending of that 5.3 trillion that hasn't been spent, to take that back and stop printing money. I mean, if they really want to stop inflation, that's what they do. And I don't hear anybody calling well, for that. It's not coming out of the gelding Republicans. It's not coming out of anywhere. No one's talking about yeah. canceling spending as a way to stop inflation. They're talking about raising interest rates. Well, they're lowering prices by, by creating a bad economy because, you know, the, the cure for inflation, is, they're saying, is recession. That's what they're saying. Right. In other words, if people stop the economy. But we don't have to do that. We can have economic growth and lower inflation by simply cutting government spending and stopping the printing. But nobody talks about well, we that. Could, we could definitely fix all that by having smarter people at the Fed. Yeah, um, you know, having our, a our people that were that were not playing <laughs> politics and were were willing to react. Um, you know, so um, you know, I mean, it, first off, the first thing you said is that makes too much sense. So the government's mm. definitely not doing that. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the the next thing is is um, you know it cuts into the way that they can they can you know keep the America running as a business. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, you have to understand that. Uh, you know, I mean, I say this you know, with as much love for my country as I possibly could. Uh, the USA is probably the biggest business in the world, mm-hmm. you know, and, no, and they run it like one, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, how how do they increase their profit margins, um, you know, so they can continue to grow and continue their spending, right? It, it's run like every other company that is growing and in, in bringing in, in money, right? You know, well, um, I, I – no, I was just saying though, it's not the it's not America as a business. The American government, the federal government, is a business. Oh sure, yeah. Well, I mean, 
that's what I mean. <laughs> well, not the whole country. Well, no, and I want to clarify that because that, that makes a huge difference. In fact, I've got an article uh, from the Mises uh, Institute on why governments love inflation. I'm going to talk about that uh, after you have to go. Uh, but, it, but we've got a situation where governments do love inflation. They don't want to stop the inflation because it makes them money. Um, and, and I don't oh, yeah. quite understand it. That's why I'm going to read the article. But, but so there's no incentive for them to do that. So rather than cut the spending, which is what they live on, which is why I have a constitutional amendment to end Congress borrowing money so that we end inflation permanently, uh, that would be a concept. <laughs> you know, so I'm trying to get the folks from, from deflation.com on the show to talk about deflation, which is what I think is the cure. Um, for all this, right. but they, they're not going to do that. So they, they, they lie. Uh, they lie about everything and they lie and they say that, uh, well, the cure for uh, uh, inflation uh, is raising interest rates, but it's really not. Cause again, as we said many times, you're standing on the accelerator by printing money and you're standing on the brake by raising interest rates. Well, then all you get is a bunch of squealing tires, but nothing really gets accomplished. And so your well, tires I've break. Actually, I've, <laughs> Until tires I've break. seen yeah. a, I've seen an article that uh, here recently that, uh, you know, said about it, it proved that about twenty percent of inflation um, has been caused by corporate greed. Um, you know, that of them artificially raising prices to 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 stay ahead. You know, and and you know, basically take advantage of the situation, if that makes sense. Well, no, that's um, what corporations do. That's not greed. That's just business. You know, why is it greed? Why is it why is it greed to raise prices when the market is good because you know supplies are cheap, or is good because you know there's a lot of unemployment, so you can hire people cheaply? Why is it good because foreign sources are now providing you know better supply? I mean, that's good business. Why is it not good business to when when a government creates an artificial shortage and creates an inflationary period to raise prices when everybody's raising prices? I don't I don't see a problem so with the that. The example, right? The example the example was was. Uh, they showed what it was costing them to produce it. It even showed uh, rising, rising, um, um, you know, rising transportation costs. It, it took mm-hmm. all of this into account, and it said, "Here, if you were sticking to your original business plan, you know, that you guys had put out, here's mm-hmm. where your prices should be. Right? Here's here's where it is specifically." And they had uh, they showed uh, uh, you know a couple. Uh, people on uh, uh, in front of Congress having to answer questions on why this was happening, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it basically said, okay, you know, even if we included a little bit of an extra in there, your prices would be right here, right? And you know, I mean, uh, in the video that was there, it was showing you know somebody answering the questions and saying, yeah. And then it was like, you know, okay, well, can you explain why your prices are right here? And the answer was basically. Well, you know, we were keeping up with everybody else, you know, and it's like, holy Wrong crap, thing to say. really? <laughs> no, the correct answer uh, is the government created inflation. They created a situation where everybody is raising prices, you know, and uh, I mean, the, the businesses are there to maximize profits. But you want to say it in a way that doesn't sound like you're that you're taking advantage of people say, well, the, so blame the government. They created the inflation in the first place. I mean, that's the answer. Jeez, I should be in PR, <laughs> you know, that's oh, how you yeah. handle that question. Yeah. But they did. Oh, they're idiots. I agree. You know, I mean, I yeah. I understand that. I mean, it's uh, you know, people people want to make up their own things, and I mean, you know, inflation is is government imposed and government enforced and government supported. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's uh, it's uh, the writing's on the wall. Um, you know, and I, I you know, the government knows that inflation's not going to turn around in in a short time anyway. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. going to take them years to impact that, right? So when it takes them years to impact that, I mean, that's years of money in the bank for them. You know, so, um, you know, of, of course, I mean, I would be looking, 
I would be looking for whatever happens with this midterm election to, you know, decipher what the big next spending bill comes out. Yeah. See, that's the problem. It shouldn't be a big mess of spending. I mean, if they really wanted to, to fix the economy, I mean, the obvious one is cut the budget, have a budget surplus, and use that surplus uh, to, pay out, most, to pay off things. I don't, I mean, that's bet, I don't most that? bet next year. Uh, uh-huh. I'd almost bet next year the military's on the chopping block. Oh, that's interesting. Why do you think that? Because it's $809 billion, and um, they're going to have a lot of bills they need to pay because of these higher interest rates in um, typical fashion. Uh, uh-huh. Statistics has shown with with a democratic government that the military is the next place to make cuts when they need money. You know, so, even uh, even if I'm the just, GOP supposedly takes over Congress, you, you don't have any faith in the GOP. <clears throat> Obviously, this is a rhetorical question. Oh, oh I, um, I said if it was a democratic government. <laughs> oh, okay. So, All right. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's just uh, that's typical mm-hmm. fashion. Um, you yeah. know, I mean, there there is. I mean, um, uh, Clinton did it. Obama did it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, uh, going, going all the way back, uh, you know, I mean, uh, every, every Democrat has found a way to take away. I mean, with, with Clinton, it was the biggest reduction in force that we've had since World War II. Um, mm-hmm. with Obama, it was closing up bases. Uh, it was the base reform, you know, it oh, was, yeah, base uh, closing minimizing, I remember that. Yep. Right. Right. It was minimizing federal employees. Um, you know, and I mean, that was during my time, you know, so, um, you know, we, we had to deal with our own, our own struggles. I mean, the good news was during that time, I mean, we were fighting war, so we were getting good pay raises, you know, so, um, <laughs> while they were making us do more, they were paying us more. <laughs> so, well, that's the way it should uh, be, but, you know, you know but I mean, I, I always question what, uh, I mean, I have not supported a war since World War II, that being the last declared war. Now, God bless you for going and, 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 and doing, you know, serving the country, but quite honestly, if I were making policy, we would have had no involvement, military in Korea, Vietnam, uh, Iraq, or Afghanistan, or Ukraine, for that matter. I mean, we're not there, but we're spending money there, because to me, defense really is defense. Yeah, and that includes navigable so, waterways. I mean, so I don't want to get rid of the Navy or the Air Force for air, for piracy and things like that and to protect, protect us from invasion. But I believe we have too many foreign bases. I mean, why are we in Okinawa? You know, why are we still a part of NATO? NATO should have ended when the Soviet Union collapsed in the Reagan administration. Everything after that yeah. has been welfare for Europe. You know, so, so yeah, you want to talk one, about that? that, we, could, that we, we, we could cut the military budget, but not in the areas that they're going to cut. They're going to cut the wrong things. Right. We could cut the F-35 which is one of the greatest stupid you know, airplanes ever built. It's as bad as the F-111. Yeah. Same problem. You know, one airplane does everything. No, it doesn't. <laughs> you know, um, but how much is the interest on the national debt? Because I heard that it exceeds the military costs. What's that? What are you talking about? What now? The interest on the national debt per year. So we've got $31 trillion national debt. Isn't the interest on the yeah. – if the, the defense budget is about eight, $850 billion, how much is the interest? Isn't the interest on the national debt like nine hundred and something billion, or whatever it is? Um, What's going to be this year? Can we look it up real I, quick? I'm I'm not sure. I'd have to go look. I don't know the answer to that. Do you know like a previous year? I'm just, I mean just a ballpark. Um, I don't. I'd have to go look it up. Okay. All right. Well, just but as far as I know, but but the point is, if they really want to save military spending, the first thing you do is you stop spending you know billions on on Iraq. You know they gave away eighty five billion dollars worth of weapons in the surrender in Afghanistan. So it's to say that we've got to cut the military budget when they gave away $85 billion worth of weapon systems. That's, that's like hypocrisy beyond all, 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 all reason. 
I mean, I understand hypocrisy. This is this is like irrational hypocrisy. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're doing stupid things. And so, so why would you cut the military budget after you gave away $85 billion worth of arms and you spent over $100 billion in, in uh, uh, Ukraine when if you hadn't armed Ukraine, uh, they would have had a negotiated settlement, you know, day one. You know, so they've actually created yeah. a, they've created a balance of power. It's like Sun Tzu, right? You know, you attack when you're uh, strong, you don't, you know, and uh, retreat when you're weak. Well, if you have one superpower, you know, Russia versus one almost non-power, Ukraine, you know, there's no contest. So, so rather than have a war where a whole bunch of where thousands of people die, which is going to end badly anyway, it's going to Russia's going to end up winning anyway. Why would you do that? Um, why would you arm people for an inevitable defeat at the cost of thousands of, and thousands of lives when you're going to end up in exactly the same place with a negotiated settlement? Why don't you just bypass the war and go right to the negotiated settlement? I mean, yeah, I, it makes too much sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how you do it. You know, well, we've talked about this too. This is, this is, Ukraine and Russia is an Eastern European and a Russian problem. They're the countries that have to deal with it. So the Eastern European countries that don't want to be occupied by the former Soviet Union, which is trying to be reconstituted, should should uh, side with Ukraine, and they all should fight Russia. And we should leave them alone. We should NATO should just drop out of the picture. It's not needed. It's a total waste of time. Trying to trying to take the old Warsaw Pact and make that NATO, that's just welfare. That's stupid. Right. Turkey well, too. I mean, the whole the whole Ukraine yeah. thing is 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Is is I don't even Nation want to call it a travesty, but yeah, it is. You know, but uh, yeah. you know, I mean, you you have to understand that that uh, you know when the Biden when Biden was in power before and he sent mm-hmm. his son over there, that government mm-hmm. was uh, sympathetic to Russia, and you know, one one that supported Russia, you know, so Putin was was a happy camper. Well, mm-hmm. that government didn't win. Yeah. You know, that government got changed out with the one that uh, you know was against Russia. And, you know, uh, of course, Trump comes into office and tries to blow the lid off of all that, what they were trying to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, then, then Trump is out of office. Biden comes in and then uh, Putin starts a war with Ukraine. Hmm. <laughs> you know, imagine that. Back business as you usual. Know, well, yeah. Well, here's speaking of, of people that hate Biden. Uh, the Saudi prince can't stand him. You know, the whole the, the whole oh. Saudi. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about that. <laughs> You know, that would be interesting. Yeah. Just, uh, when's the oil going to be cut? We still haven't gotten to the report yet. We will. But we haven't even cut our, our Saudi uh, oil yet. Mm-hmm. Or they haven't cut their oil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, well, I mean, it's coming, and, and Saudi isn't being quiet about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, they, they basically, you know, the U.S. is, is saber-rattling, and they're saber-rattling back. And, um, yeah. you know, it's – it's uh, you know, I I don't think it's really going to end well when we're not producing what we need, and you're at the mercy of these countries. You know what I mean? And yeah. they know it. Yeah. You know, and it's uh, you know, great. You can make all these bills that say, hey, we're going to stop producing, you know, oil cars or can't buy oil cars by 2035 and all that stuff. You know, what I mean, the more they know that timeline is finite, the higher oil is going to go. Yeah. You know, what I mean, because they're gonna they're gonna line their pockets. And I mean, uh, you know, the 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 production of oil cars uh, after 2035 is not going to go away unless we find some kind of, you know, awesome alternate, you know, <laughs> source or hydrogen power becomes way better or something like that. I mean, it, mm-hmm. I just don't believe that that's a viable timeline. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I think the the statistic is is like one percent of cars on the road right now are electric. And how many you know, of that I mean, is because so, of the subsidies too? I mean, they're subsidizing it to to force us to right, make it right. economically. And I mean, you know, uh, you know, and people don't want an electric car. I don't want an electric car. 
Look at well, look at Florida I, I, after other, you know they blow I've up. I've seen other things that say that um, you know the the lithium mining cannot mm-hmm. keep up with the 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 demand of mm-hmm. you know uh, um, how much how much batteries they need. You know they can't mm-hmm. keep up with it. If they increase production by so much that there's no way they can keep up with it. You know so. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just interested. I'm interested in how it'll go. I guess if we're going to continue making this press, it's a good time to buy more lithium stocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, but this is so artificial, though, because, you know, what the government, you know, subsidizes, the government can take away, you know, and you don't think Trump, Trump's not going to continue this. I don't know what the gelding Republicans are going to do. That's what I call them, folks, the, the gelding old party, the GOP. You know, uh, we did a whole thing earlier, and McCarthy's already surrendered to the Democrats. He's not going to investigate him. He's not going to impeach. He's not going to do anything. So I don't have mm-hmm. much faith in, in, in the, the becoming conservatives. Um, so uh, let me see. I got, I got to my, uh, my uh, poster here on live chat. Live chat is up and running. Let's see if I can see if we've got a comment here. Uh, there we go. Uh, oh, so, so it looks like I've got a, my caller who's live texting. So let me, let me take this one. And let's see if this is my, is it, this is, if this is my texter. Is this my, my texting person? You're live on the line here. Going once, going twice? Yeah, it's me. Oh, there you go. So, is that to add to our conversation? What you got? What's your first name? Yeah. Uh, Kelvin. Hey, Kelvin. What's on? Uh, what's up? So, I wanted to chime in on the Ukrainian situation. Sure. Because um, there's something that I always sit there and keep in mind when it comes to geopolitics. Um, geography determines the nation. So, um, the Rio Grande River determines the border between the United States and Mexico, right? Uh-huh. Um, right? On the north side of Canada, it's a longitude line. So when it comes to Russia, Russia doesn't have a very good defined border. And the military strategy that Russia was trying to do in the invasion of Ukraine was to, of course, push back NATO's influence in Ukraine and also the Baltic European states that were former parts of the Soviet Union. Um, Russia's borders... 2,000 kilometers. Okay. Okay. I need you to kind of sum and, up a little bit here because we've got uh, Derek. You know, let's, let's get the economic questions. I can take in the second hour, uh, though the last hour we can talk more about this. But what's, what, do you have oh, a specific sure. economic thing? So let's, let's focus on that first of all. So what I think when it comes to um, Powell, Jay Powell, and his um, raising of the interest rate is to, of course, we did a lot of spending when it came to COVID. Mm-hmm. But to drive the world into a recession, to reduce the amount of Russian oil and energy products exported, to defund them, and also access to American companies, or no, uh, Chinese companies for startup funds because of the zero-rate interest policies done by Ben Bernanke. Okay, so, so what's, give, me, give me a question here. Yeah, we're, we're kind of a little bit all over the place here. So, so are you, oh, yeah. Yeah, you think sorry. it's intentional what's going to Ukraine? With our policy, or just give me one thing that we can focus on, and then we can. Uh, I want to get Derek's response. So, do you think interest rates are being risen in order to um, drive the world into a recession? Well, that's a good question, actually, Derek. I I didn't hear him. It's it's hard to hear him a little bit. What was that? Yeah, question? so I, I'm gonna put you on hold too because this is a bit hard to hear you. The question was whether the uh, the Fed has raised interest rates to put the world into a recession, and I don't think we have that kind of control or power. Hmm, man. Um, I would well, I argue it. that, that yeah. I, I think maybe it does hold a little water because of the amount of GDP that we have. 
I mean, it, I, I'm not going to say that it doesn't because if, if by raising the interest rate and making our dollar more powerful, it mm-hmm. makes it more costly for them to buy our goods, which also raises more revenue for the government. So, because oh, the sales taxes are higher. Look at it from, yeah. Say, exactly. Right. Okay. So I would look at it from that that it holds water. Um, you know, but but would they have as much influence? Well, let's take China for example. Well, China. Um, you know, I, I, I just heard that they're potentially going to devalue their currency again. You know, what I mean, so China will just step in. You know, the world's second biggest GDP will come in and just say, "Okay, fine. Well, since it's more expensive for you guys, I'll just make it cheaper for everybody else. So everybody else will just go buy from China, right?" So it, it does hold a little bit of water, but I think that there's other things that countries can do to mitigate those circumstances yeah so my caller i think it's kelvin or, or calman's what's on the, the live chat just hang on a little bit um, i'll take you if you can stick around because i can hear you better than derek can so i'll just wait till we're we're finished with derek and i'll bring you back in um because but he raised a good point you know we still haven't done the report yet <laughs> we got to get to that so hopefully you got a couple of minutes but let me ask this one thing because the the current insurrection the, the brandon you know, coup that's sitting in the White House is fond of saying uh, that uh, this is there's a worldwide recession, there's worldwide inflation, and they're releasing our oil, our taxpayer paid oil, and it's going on the world market. It's not like they're they're uh, you know they're giving it away to you know they're they're selling it, they're making money off it, they're making money off our taxpayer dollars. So to me, that's crime. Um, but the whole point is they're they're not you know using it for domestic supply; it's world supply. So why are they dealing in the world? with our oil instead of dealing with us here. And, and does, uh, you know, our caller have a point that maybe they are trying to work with the globalist economy as opposed to fixing ours right here. It's an interesting question. Right. Are you, are you, were you asking me? It sounded more like a comment. <laughs> I think my questions actually end up that way. Well, let's take it one piece at a time then. So, you know, um, inflation or, or interest rates, are interest rates for us or are they more for the global economy? So that's a double-edged sword. Um, you know, the interest rates are 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 for us um, because one, it uh, it gives us better return on our on our products we're buying either from the government or from banks. Uh, mm-hmm. Two, um, you know, I mean, it costs more to borrow. Um, you know, that's not necessarily for us; that's against mm-hmm. us. But you know, I mean, it's a byproduct of what's happening. And then, is it for you know international? Um, it makes our bonds more palatable. Right. You know, who wouldn't want to buy a four year, 30 percent bond or a 30 year, 4 percent bond, excuse me, um, you know, from the U.S., which, you know, is is the world's reserve currency by a 40 percent margin. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, it it, it definitely I would say so it kind of goes both ways. Interesting. Um, So the other question then is on oil. This is a question I had. You know, why are we releasing oil? onto the world market as opposed to just releasing it for, for domestic consumption and, and lowering our prices here. I, d- I wouldn't know what the, what the goal was with that, of that. I mean, I'm sure I could find articles that, that, you know, supported either, either way or, or supported, mm-hmm. you know, some, some thesis on it, but I, I don't know specifically. Interesting. All right. Um, so the good last question, question I have, and I mean, I, I these are all good questions. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times we ask questions we don't have the answers to. Those are the best questions. The last thing I had, and let's get to the report real quick, um, is I've noticed uh, anecdotally, just in our area here uh, in Northwest Florida, in, in Santa Rosa County, that um, 
when the price of gasoline got below $4 a, a gallon, people started driving a whole lot more. They're, they're driving more now, and, that's, and they're, people are filling up the tanks because they know damn well after the election that these, these prices are going to go up. There's something about $4 a gallon that really tends to, to slow people. There was far less traffic on the roads. And this is just my observation on this. And this is why I think they're engineering this whole thing to keep it below, keep it below $4 a gallon through the midterms. But after that, they're not going to care. Do you notice a difference? Is mm-hmm. that a market thing? Like four is kind of like a four dollars a gallon is kind of like a benchmark. Above that, people stop driving. You know, they take out the discretionary stuff. But at three dollars a gallon, they're still like, yeah, okay, I can still drive at three dollars a gallon. I think it's it's actually more of a, a threshold of you know of pain. I guess is kind of how I put it. Um, you know, just like I put it before, I think you know the happy place for oil is around that eighty eighty to eighty five dollars a barrel, right? When it starts going over 90, you know, you start getting into that threshold of pain that people start getting uncomfortable. You know, it starts costing them too much to drive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that's exactly kind of where we're at right now. We're kind of at the, at the, I don't want to call it the top, but pretty close. You know, I mean, oil sitting at, you know, 87, $88 a barrel. I think Mm -hmm. that's getting close to the high side of the threshold, right? If it jumps over 90, you know, I mean, then, then, you know, those prices start going to the pump and people start saying, well, I'm going to go ahead and start slowing down again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that, that, there's your recession right there. So Saudi, do we know in the Saudis, you may have answered this already, do we, we know in the Saudis are going to cut production 2 million barrels a day uh, or a week I, I or whatever it is? I mean, I, no, I, I don't. Okay. So they yeah. haven't done that yet. They haven't actually physically done that. They haven't announced a date when they're going to start, when they're going to cut production. So this is still mm-hmm. a plan without a without a deadline. Okay. Well, let's right. get the numbers before you have to go. <laughs> so you probably have to go soon, yeah. usually about this time. Yeah. So let's get the report now that we've done the report. All right. Well, <laughs> yep. Good morning, everybody. This is Derek Park with Edward Jones bringing you the daily financial market report. This morning, U.S. GDP for the third quarter of 2022 came in above expectations, up 2.6% on an annualized basis versus the expectation of 2% growth. Markets were generally mixed after the release, with the Dow in positive territory and the tech-heavy Nasdaq lagged, even recent disappointing large-cap earning technolo- or technology earnings. Companies like Microsoft, Google, Facebook, and uh, Facebook Meta have all reported fourth-quarter growth forecasts that were below expectations this week. Meanwhile, Treasury yields continue to soften as the U.S. 10-year yield uh, is now under 4% at 3.95% level, uh, down from the high of 4.28%. Softer yields tend to support better sentiments in equities and growth sectors. The Dow Jones uh, closed up 194 points, or 0.61 to 32.033. The Nasdaq closed down 178 points, or 1.63% to 10, 7, or 10,793. And the S&P 500 closed down 23 points, or 0.61 to 38.07. And in the bond market, 10-year Treasury yields trading at 3.91, lower by 0.11. In the uh, commodity markets, the price of crude oil was up 64 cents or 0.73 to 88.55, and the spot price of gold was down $3.50 or 0.21 to 1665. Um, this is Derek Park of Edward Jones, member SIPC. You can get me at 850 995 0082. 
Yeah, I guess we should start that next time. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, oil seems, oil's getting nudging that, that $90 if they're at 88. It's, it's kind of creeping up. I think as soon as the Saudis cut production, that's going to go up. And as soon as we either run out of oil in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve or they actually have a sense to stop trying to manipulate the price, um, that uh, this is going to be a problem here. Um, gold is down. I mean, gold. this is a good time to buy gold, it looks like. I remember it being seventeen and $1,800 a few months ago, you know, an ounce. So now in yeah, the 16 the, uh, inch, you know. You have to understand gold, gold, the commodity market itself is also driven by the U.S. dollar. You know, mm-hmm. so if the U.S. dollar is is gaining strength, even though we're going into recession, which traditionally is always a good time to run to gold, um, mm-hmm. you know, this this uh, ha- it, it's not working out well. <laughs> so, um, you know, traditionally, I mean, there's 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 a bunch of safe havens. We have bonds, which are safe havens, um, which isn't working out well because it's a rising interest rate environment. They lose value but gain in their interest rate. Uh, uh-huh. You know, so. It makes things uh, makes things a little hard, um, you know. And then you got gold, which you know people run to as a safe haven, and it's also losing value because of the strong dollar, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, every safe haven you got, I mean, is is kind of not well. That's that's supposedly have a better long term return than money markets and CDs and things like that, you know. What I mean, so CDs right now are are very popular because uh, golly, one year CDs are four and a half percent right now. You know, so uh, uh, that's and how long, how long that's way higher than they ever were in 2018. So they're they're that, moving up quickly. Is that three months, six months, a year? Um, what's the time one period year, on that? One year, 4.5 percent. Three months is probably somewhere around 3.7. I would say. So you're better off. So you do it for a year, but inflation is still eight percent. So you're still losing half your money. But you're well, not losing I mean, as much as. You would if you just hey, that's in right. A, in a bank. <laughs> oh, okay. That's a, that's that's how you explain. Well, I don't necessarily explain it like that to people. I normally tell people, listen, you're you're you know, in order to return an eight percent, you're going to have to take risks that may make you uncomfortable. You know, so yeah. that's just a you, you know, it's a personal decision, really. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think? Um, and then we need to go because I, I always have a couple more questions. <clears throat> Do you think the government is fudging the numbers on the GDP at all? Because Clinton was famous for changing the indexes, changing the way things were measured, unemployment, um, GDP, various indexes. He would just make up new ways to do the numbers. Do you see any fudging of of the numbers this time, or are they using exactly the same criteria for measuring GDP? Um, I'd have to look at it, and I don't know. You know, I mean, I'd have to, you know, because there's the finance industry. And, I mean, you know, back when Clinton was in office, you know, it would take a because of technology, it would take a while for them to catch him. Um, mm. You know, I mean, like where we're at now, I I don't think that would fly. I think they'd put mm. out a report and the next day somebody'd be like, no, <laughs> no, here here's your here's your real numbers. You know, so I, I'd I'd have to look at it, but I just don't think right now that 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 would fly. So um, I, I would say that I would, uh, you know, you have to understand when the GDP, GDP and inflation reports come out, their initial reports, and then they solidify them in like two weeks after that, right? And they may move by like 0.1 or something like that. So, and and 0.1 is not going to change the way the sentiment on how it feels. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but what's interesting, though, is like you say, they will adjust. You know, I'm, I'm curious what the adjustment is. But it seems unusual to me to have to go have a couple of quarters of, of negative growth, even though barely negative growth, but still negative growth, and then jump to 2.6%, you know, during a recession. That seems unusual right. to me. So this is why I figure other factors are involved. 
Right. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, and the last thing I had was unemployment. Uh, the the, the uh, current regime uh, is fond of talking about unemployment is really low. Well, they measure unemployment by how many people are actually looking for work uh, as opposed to those that, that don't have a job. So if you're not looking for work, you're not counted as being unemployed. So there's a great place that can be fudged too. But why do they, why do they think that this is related to inflation when infla- or why are they trying to push this lie that's related to inflation when inflation is government spending and printing and unemployment is, is you know, companies having money to hire people? The, the two totally different things. And, but during a recession, yeah. I mean, a genuine recession that, you know, you, companies are going to cut back and you could probably get more unemployment. But why are they saying that why, either why do we have low unemployment at this time or why are they saying that this, is, this proves that we don't have a recession? What, unemployment seems to be fitting into this whole picture very strangely. And I'm just wondering. Hmm. That was a question. I, I, <laughs> yeah, it's. That's that's. I mean, you you always got the hard ones, man. I mean, that one. You know, a lot of your questions. I mean, I'm not not trying to poke at you, but I mean, I I, they're so specific that I would have to go look for them. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. they're not they're they're not general in nature. And I mean, it's it's. There's nothing wrong with asking them. It's just for me. It's just kind of. I'm always Mm -hmm. caught on the spot because you're asking something that, you know, I mean, I'm I'm just not prepared for. Oh, that's okay. Well, then just tell me. Tell me. I mean, like I say, a lot of times, you know, and I like to do this too, that we don't need answers. We don't need specifics, but it's just if yeah. there's a way to sort of rationalize or, or work through it. So when I ask a question like that, when I ask about unemployment, I'm trying to figure it out myself because I see on the one hand in a recession, you know, if businesses are coming back, they're going to lay people off. And that's usually what raises the rate of unemployment. I don't see um, that happening. I don't hear about a ton of layoffs. Um, so that to me is, is different, but I also know that a bunch of people were making mo- all kinds of money um, on, on uh, you know, COVID payments, so maybe they're not even looking for a job yet, and if they're not looking for a job, they wouldn't be counted as unemployed, so the unemployment rates might be, look pretty good for totally artificial reasons, different than they normally are. Right, well, that, un- that's unemployment, what I'm trying to figure only out. Has to jump, unemployment only has to jump like 1% um, for them to say, you know, okay, we're in recession. The NBER, the National Bureau of Economic, blah, 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 blah. I can't remember what it is. But, um, you know, that's the place that says, yeah, we're in recession now. So, I mean, as soon as unemployment, you know, rises, you know, 1%, I actually think it's 0.9 to to cross the threshold of where it needs to be because we're at 3.6, and I think it needs to cross like 4.5. Once it crosses there, then they'll be like, yeah, okay, we've met the criteria. We're good. You know, so um I I I'm not sure you know when that's supposed to happen. You know, I mean, I mm. the labor report typically trails uh the inflation report. You know, so inflation report, labor report, and then the Fed comes out. So that's kind of the the cycle. Okay. Well, part of the reason I ask is that uh, and I just thought as as, as we were talking um is that uh, yeah. 4% is, is you talk to an economist and they'll say, well, 4% unemployment, is, that's what we consider zero. So they consider 4% to be normal. Well, it's not normal. Normal is zero. Yeah. You know, no unemployment is, is what I consider normal. So if they're using 4.5 as a bad place, 3.9 is a good place, that confirms, you know, what, what I've heard before, that economists, you know, they think of it, and I think they engineer unemployment to keep wages low. Big companies love uh, a certain level of unemployment because it makes people work for less money. Whereas if it's zero unemployment, yeah. then people can pick and choose their jobs. And they can say, ah, oh, you're not paying me enough. I want more money. If you want me to do X, right. then you, know, you pay me more, and that raises wages, and that cuts into profits. I mean, but that's, that's how the market works. 
So engineering unemployment right. is an artificial uh, corporate subsidy or a corporate welfare subsidy that's not justified, and then you don't have a free market of people being able to accept wages. They're forced to take jobs that they wouldn't otherwise or, or at a lower rate. Anyway, I find that interesting. Um, yeah. I'm sure we're well, done. I'm going to have to – uh, yeah, yeah, I got like. to pick this up next time because I'm I'm getting way over time. So I got to oh, run. I'm sorry. Go. We'll do it next week. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. All right, Greg. We'll uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks very much, Derek. Appreciate it. Yep. Bye bye. There we go. Bye now. Yeah, I I got to I got to tell him. So stop by eight. <laughs> you know, eight o'clock Central Time here. Um, and so let's do that. So I got uh, Calman on the line. I'm gonna play a couple things here, and we'll be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklos Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. All right, so we're back here, and... uh, I did this right. This was this is Calman um, from our from our live chat is now going to be talking to us, which is much more fun. So I can hear you, but like I say, Derek couldn't, so he had a little trouble. And it's um, it's I mean he has enough trouble with my you, questions. You know, so it's kind of understandable. Oh, it was breaking up for you too, or he was breaking up, or I am. 
I'm changing. To, I'm going on my back. Okay, I'll wait. Okay, we'll no, we're good here. now. We're good now. Okay, good. All right. So, what can I help you with? Now we can ask big questions. Yeah. So, I wanted to get on the show to talk about geopolitics for the most part. Okay. I think that it's something good. a lot of people don't understand. Why don't you explain yeah. what it is? That'd be the first thing. What What is geopolitics? So, geopolitics is essentially like international politics for the most part. Understanding it's like playing chess. Mm-hmm. Trying to understand what your opponent is thinking, or everybody's considered an opponent, or the enemy of my enemy is my friend, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the best idea would be Ukraine. Um, so, a couple things sense. I want to point out to people who may be listening mm-hmm. is I was talking about uh, borders, right? Mm-hmm. So, there was a picture of the president of Belarus right before the invasion of Ukraine back in February, and I think it was posted like late January, something like that, but it depicts her in military positions in the long run of what Russia wanted to achieve, and Belarus wanted to achieve, Belarus is essentially a proxy of Russia, just like Ukraine is essentially a proxy of NATO. Um, Which is too bad, really. They were going to take the country Because that's the problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I mean, one could argue, one could argue, it's like taking a bishop with a rook, you know what I mean? It's, you're getting a tit for tat out of this situation. It's not healthy, by all means. I think negotiations should occur, but that's just me. Well, anyway, we already talked about um, that. I've talked about that with Derek, hope? and uh, I've talked about that on the show several times, that this is a regional problem. This is an Eastern European Russian problem, and they've had problems before. They've had problems since after World War II when Russia took over all these Eastern countries, uh, Eastern European countries from Poland to Bulgaria, Romania, Hungary, Czech Republic, which was Czechoslovakia at the time, uh, Ukraine, and all these other, Slovakia, uh, Latvia, um, Estonia, you know, those three, and uh, all these countries. You know, um, and so it's a huge problem. And then you had the Balkans under Yugoslavia, which was what Bosnia, Herzegovina, Serbia, Croatia, you know, Macedonia, all these countries used to be Yugoslavia and they were communist. uh, They were communist allied with Russia. So when when the Soviet Union collapsed under Gorbachev, which was the best thing that ever happened, um, that was the perfect time for Reagan to say not only after he said, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. What uh, what uh, Reagan should have done is take us out of NATO. It's like, okay, we're done. The Warsaw Pact collapsed. NATO should have collapsed and said, and if Europe wants to pick it up on their own, that's fine. But that would have been the perfect time for us to leave. But you can't do that with a permanent war class. So now the permanent war class is is just they love a war. I agree 150 percent. Yeah. Now that we've surrendered in Afghanistan. Yeah, but NATO, there's no reason for NATO anymore, right? What do, you, what do you think? I mean, right now, in the past 30 years ago, it, it, was, it would have been a wonderful idea to abolish NATO, it, it, or at least defund it, you know. Um, but now, as things are going, it's as it's looking, and I'm not going to lie to you, over the next 10 to 15 years, mm-hmm. I see Russia using some kind of excuses to take Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. Next some, kind of a, some kind of what? Your line still is a little bit unclear. Some kind of a what to take over? That was the key word. Over the next 10 to 15 years, the Russians, to take over. I think what the Russian plan is to take over Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, and also take over Moldova, which is south of the Carpathian Mountains. So well, the Moldova is just south of Ukraine. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
yeah, yeah. Instead of having a 2,000-kilometer border, which they have now, mm-hmm. it shrinks down to a 400-kilometer border next to Poland. And there's no way Russia can get into Poland. They are so anti-Russia. <laughs> Ridiculous. So that's what I think they're going to try to do over the next 10 to 15 years. And the okay. NATO strategy, what I think is right now, is kind of like an attrition situation. What it is, is the oil embargo will begin next month, like the mm-hmm. full oil and petrochemical embargo. Which one? This, this is from Russia, right? And Yeah. Well, this is the European Union and the United States sanctions against Russia for oil and natural, natural oh, gas. Wait, wait, wait. wait. So, like, uh, this is interesting. Anywhere. So let me, so let me understand this. Don't get okay, hold on a second. Hold on, hold on. This is really important. Yeah. I want to make sure we understand this. Okay. So Russia has already cut back natural gas and, and oil to Western Europe, probably Eastern Europe too. The Nord Stream pipeline has been sabotaged. I think we did it <laughs> because, you know, Russia, there's no reason they, I, I they should so cut know. their own pipeline. Okay. So let's assume that we did that uh, until, we hear, until we hear some evidence to the contrary. Russia wouldn't do that and Western Europe wouldn't do that because they want the oil. You know, and they want the natural gas, so there's yep. no reason for them to do it. All right, so they've got, and uh, even though Trump warned them, don't be dependent on Russia for your energy. So, so the, the sanctions. Now, I, this is where I'm getting confused because we're gonna we're gonna cut off Russian oil to Europe and the United States, and they've already done that. So I don't as, as punishment for for you know getting Ukraine and NATO. So we're gonna cut off oil that the Russians have already cut off. Have I got that right, or am I missing something? So, um, one thing I said in the live chat is when right. you were talking about why are we exporting our oil and natural gas, et cetera. And on a exactly. previous conversation, I was, talk- we was talking about the strategic petroleum reserve. And uh-huh. it, it got filled up with sweet, light crude, which our oil refineries can't actually process very well. Our oil refineries are made for black, crud oil, like crude, you know. Um, yeah. So, Biden has been shipping it to China and getting it refined, and then reselling it, whether to... Wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. So our oil, our strategic petroleum reserve, our oil, which is being sold on the world market, that is only supposed to go for American use, either in uh, nuclear war, devastation, confusion, you know, an absolute cut of supply yeah. from the rest of the world, whatever the reason is, it's only but supposed to be for American use. The they can't sell it you, on the world market. We don't have the refining capacity. We don't right. have the refining capacity to be able to refine that sweet light crude, that, that sweet light oil that I was talking about. So why That's are we storing, oh, wait, wait a minute, why are we storing oil in the strategic petroleum reserve that we can't refine? That makes no sense. Well, I do have to say that might have been Trump just posting himself and saying let's just fill everything up with whatever. And sweet no, light I don't believe that. Is I don't believe that. I don't believe you do that. He, he's right. not stupid. Trump has given no evidence of any plan that he's purposely done that would hurt us. I can't think of one thing that he's done that wasn't America first. So Trump's and Trump's no dummy. Well, he's one of the smartest you know, people ever hold office. Why would he put sometimes oil we can't use? Favor, you know, even among the populace, mm. you know, you okay. do stuff that sounds great, but might not be. A but people don't know about it. You know, much like the last, the last uh, stimulus check that was done when um, Trump was like, "Oh, we're going to give another people another thousand dollars," like three weeks before he left office. You know, in the beginning of January. And the Democrats were like, oh, we're all for it and everything like that. Well, that was a major spur of the inflation leading into the next year. Because oh, of course it was. Because as soon as that all got drained out, it went into yeah. the corporate pockets. 
it hope you all loved your be. stimulus money. No. <laughs> you, you stimulated yourselves into an hey. into a uh, into a, into uh, inflation. But here's the thing, though, Trump. If I remember this correctly, and I could be wrong, but if I remember this, Trump actually filled the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and didn't tell people he'd done it. He was It wasn't a bragging point. He never said, I'm going to fill a strategic petroleum reserve with cheap oil. He actually did it, and then it came out later that he'd done it. And he actually said, well, wait a minute. You know, here's what I've done as, as part of his accomplishments when everybody was going after him. So he didn't use that as an, uh, an electoral. That's something he just talked about later after he'd already done it. But he did it because it made sense. And I don't think Trump would put I mean, oil into the reserve I, I that could we couldn't wrong. use. I could be wrong. I don't know yeah. the extreme military details of the strategic petroleum reserve um, actual product capacity. Or like we did a show on it. You know, and actually, all I the, know the, is that yeah. And the sweet light crude is the easiest to the refine. The sweet light was getting shipped out, and we don't have the refining capacity for it. So it yeah, just see, that's that way I want to challenge that, that too. Yeah, no, I want to challenge that too because if I understand it, sweet light, you wouldn't call something sweet and light if it was difficult to deal with. You'd call it, you know, black tar oil, <laughs> something like that. You'd call it some really nasty name. It's fracking. So the oil coming, fracking. The, the oil came, it was from fracking. So, I mean, that's, well, fracking that's oil is good. Yeah. Okay. But I understand I mean, the, the Saudi refine. oil is not as good. The Saudi oil is harder to refine. The, the Middle East oil is harder to refine. Our oil is apparently easy to refine. Yeah, but I, Saudi Arabia is weird. <laughs> but, here, but here's they, what's interesting. They are playing geopolitical chess nonstop. Like they are, they are sitting there moving pawns up, bringing oh, yeah. a rook back. You know, all well, of let's sudden, talk about that. Take something and then it comes right back. <laughs> the king. Yeah, I'm glad you called in. Corner, you know. Yeah, I'm glad you called in so we could hash this over. This is kind of fun. But Saudi Arabia. Now, if you remember um, that uh, Trump went there, they did a sword dance. I imagine the Secret Service went crazy. Yeah. But here's Trump dancing around with a bunch of Saudis with swords out. <laughs> Okay, they like Trump. Now, I happened to interview the person that wrote the speech for Trump, a man named Herb London. He used to have the London uh, Policy mm-hmm. Center. The man was a genius. I met him uh, outside the convention, the CPAC convention in 2018, and I looked at him because he looked just like Trump. He had that same red hair, that same tall. You know, he looked just like Trump. Uh, it was just, you ever see a picture of Herb mm-hmm. London? It's, 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 it's great. It's, it's hysterical. It's, it's you know, pretty outrageous stuff. Anyway, I looked at him, and he looked back at me looking at him. He says, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I look like Trump, right? Said, yeah, exactly. Said, so we started talking. And he turned out to this really cool guy. And I told him about my radio show and our, our citizen legislation. He said, well, that's very interesting. So he came on the show. And he, he passed away about six months later uh, after doing our show. And it's really a tragedy. But wow. I'm going pl- to play that recording again. But Herb London was the, man, the reason I'm mentioning this. Herb London wrote that speech for Trump in Saudi Arabia. Guy was a genius. And so he had a lot to do with it. And apparently, apparently the Jared Kushner crew, uh, Mnuchin, you know, Munchkin, um, are not that – they were more in it for themselves. He almost negotiated peace in the Middle East, man. And well, no, the Abraham – okay, props. so he, nothing against the Abraham Accords. I don't think anyone could have did. Yeah, no. but this is what I'm hearing. This is, this is what the news analysis – and again, we have to put everything through our logic and reason filter. Um, but it seems like uh, Kushner and Mnuchin still have good relations with the Saudis from what I've heard. Uh, the Saudis can't stand Joe Biden and the Democrats for a couple of reasons. One, nobody likes the Palestinians in the Arab world. That's a big misnomer. Two, the fact they're trying to give Iran a nuke that makes Saudi Arabia just furious. Uh, and so it makes perfect sense that when uh, Biden did the fist bump, that Saudi said, you know, F you, we're going to cut production more than you're dumping oil on the world market. Um, so this seems to me very much, um, you know, you, you asked for this, so you're going to get it now. 
So Saudi Arabia is, is not, you know, the, you know, as much as they. The, oh, I hear what's in the background. Oh, are they playing tunes? A truck. I'm talking outside instead of in my. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, hey, listen. I've had I've had tropical birds on the show. Gabriel <laughs> Allen in uh, in Belize. <laughs> you know, we we get everything on this show. I'm used to it. Um, yeah. But the, it, the Saudi situation is very interesting. So they think. You know, I mean, we're, we're, uh, they're not punishing us by restricting the oil supply because Brandon's already done that. He's restricted our oil supply, got rid of Keystone. You know, he's cut back on, on, on drilling. Uh, there's no production. The supply chain is cut. Uh, they, they have tons of regulations where they're having leases that don't have any stuff on. Well, they've got tons of regulations and leases that don't have oil. They're, giving rid of, they're getting oil leases out there that don't have oil. You know, and so all these things are going on to cut our supply. So the Saudis cutting our supply. Well, our own government cut our supply. So the Saudis aren't doing anything worse than that, you know, and we're taking our oil and dumping it on the world market. And the Saudis are saying, fine, if you're going to dump your strategic petroleum reserve and make our oil worth less, we're going to cut back our production and bring the price back up again. That's what's going to happen. So this is how I see Saudi is playing chess. I do, do want think? to bring up about Saudi Arabia. Uh-huh. Um, so Wahhabism, which is Sunni, Sunni, oh, real devout Sunni Muslim, um, mm-hmm. is Saudi Arabia is like, big thing. So it's a very masculine thing. And as wokeism really takes across the United States, and we are pushing it across the world. You know, I heard about some of the schools in Kabul with uh, transsexual hippo and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's, it's stuff that people in the Yeah, drag queens are going to go over real well in Saudi really Arabia. Take, and they're like, what <laughs> yeah. the heck are you doing? Yeah, and yep. Saudi Arabia would be a perfect example of like, that's a no-fly zone right there. That's mm. no <laughs> But also, when it comes to the Democrats with Biden, okay, mm-hmm. we stopped giving them uh, arms for the most part. Yeah. Uh, with Trump, we were um, paying down some of our debt or at least getting rid of some of our stuff that we weren't using mm-hmm. to the Saudi Arabians to help them fight the war in Yemen against the Houthi rebels. Um, when Biden comes into office, bam, like, oh, we're going we're gonna to stop you know, giving you so much weapons, you know, oh, hey, we're also going to talk, talk about taking the Patriot missile system out of Saudi Arabia. Um, the terminal high, the FAD systems, the terminal high altitude aerial defense system, you know, we're going to take them out of there. You know, we're, we're going to take away your air defense. And one thing you got to really remember about Syria and also Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, modern warfare is completely driven by aerial combat and aerial, aerial vehicles, whether it's, um, Missiles or planes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about Use this before. I don't know if you remember. And uh, and, yeah. Yeah, if, remember Dr. Peter Pry was on. We talked about uh, low-level nuclear weapons, third and fourth generation nukes. You know, we talked about uh, aircraft carriers are obsolete. I mean, you know, the military loves them because they're big, right, and they're expensive. But quite frankly, one missile well, can take on an aircraft when carrier. When they're in a strike group, when they're in a strike group, they're still very effective. Well, they are, but they're still limited. Yeah, but a strike how expensive Yeah, but you gotta protect but the destroyers have to protect the aircraft carrier. So you've got cruisers so you take a strike group, okay? So you've got an aircraft carrier or two, and I'm not sure how many it works. But usually one, all right. So you've got that, plus you've got a few missile cruisers around yeah. that, you've got destroyers around that. So the amount and you've got half the aircraft on the aircraft carrier are there to protect the carrier. So the only strike force is half the airplanes on the carrier plus the missiles on the cruisers and plus the destroyer missiles and guns and things like that. But it's not, you know, and where are you going to use it? What kind of war do we have that needs aircraft carriers? Quite frankly, 
You've got uh, you've got uh, missiles. Well, you've got ballistic missiles that make aircraft carriers pretty much obsolete. One missile can take out a carrier. Well, we can still intercept it as much as the Israeli Iron Dome system, unless they're mm-hmm. using those hypersonic cruisers. Oh, how about that? What do you think they're going to use? They're going to use hypersonic missiles, um, of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, I uh, what back in April, I believe uh, Zircon missile was used in uh, Ukraine by Russia, and that's what Zircon is Zircon missile. missiles? I remember watching the video. So Zircon missiles are hypersonic glide missiles. So hmm. they travel at Mach nine, ten, eleven, something like that, extremely fast. And they can also change their course in order to get – they can change their trajectory in order to get to their target. How many Gs um, are they pulling? See, this is something that a human being couldn't do. How many Gs? If you're going Mach 9, how many Gs are you pulling when you change direction? It's got to be 10, 20 Gs. So these things have to be incredibly uh, – far more than a human being can tolerate, right? Okay. So the only thing that Russia, Russia down is down is sitting there using an ace in the card unless they knew the ace would literally be thrown on the table going, oh, hey, mm-hmm. I trumped you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, well, I, I'm just looking at the physics of this, right? So if you've got a hypersonic missile going, you know, how, what, what kind of Gs are they pulling to be able to turn tight enough to actually change direction? You know, at Mach 9, that, what is Mach 9? 700 miles an hour time. Nine sevens are what? Ten sevens. So that's, that's like what? 7,000 miles an hour? 69? What is it? Mach. I don't know. Oh shoot! Sorry, pardon. You know, seven. What are seven nines? I mean, I forgot my times tables. Seven tens are seventy, so seven nines would be sixty-three. So, so Mach nine, if, if seven hundred miles an hour is the speed of sound, so that'd be six thousand three hundred miles an hour. So, if you're going six thousand three hundred miles an hour at a hypersonic missile, how how many g forces can you do you need to pull in order to turn that thing ninety degrees? It's got to be extreme. I mean, one of the major portions of R&D development in Raytheon mm-hmm. and Boeing and Lockheed Martin, et cetera, is trying to figure out a way to counter these. You know, as much as they get military, oh. military uh, defense appropriations, mm-hmm. like, I think we're betting on lasers. I think we're betting on lasers. So you know, lasers make sense. Well, see, I don't think that we're going to have manned yeah. uh, or personed aircraft for much longer because they're too expensive and, and the, the human being, the human body is too limited. You know, you've got drones. For, we're going to have drone wars, not clone wars like Star Wars. We're going to have drone wars. You're going to have drones fighting drones. Yeah. And they, they're, they're going to be com- controlled by supercomputers. And the question is, how many computers does it take to control a drone battle force in the air? Now, now one thing you might have. Now, is there any plans that you know of for drone aircraft carriers, maybe even unmanned drone aircraft carriers? Where we don't lose people, we only lose money. I mean, we know, already money. have unmanned sea vehicles in um, the Strait of Hormuz in that little sea area right there. What are they on? What, like two months ago, uh, Iran, or like a month ago, Iran tried to capture like a naval unmanned drone that was yeah, remember that. That, like surveys the area and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so do we have drones I mean, on we ships? We're already at that point. Do we have drones on ships now? don't know. So I, I know a lot, but I know a lot with okay. military intelligence, but um, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to look it up right now cuz I'm kind of curious. This is fun chat by the way. I'm enjoying this. Put my globe back. Hang on. You know, I was told I need to be more open about my studies. So What do you do? Do you, do you want to give your background at I'm all? I mean, show you know, on Wednesday. 
well, like I say, you can give your background. But don't forget, everything we say here is podcast forever. <laughs> so you, you don't you don't give. So, but I would just be curious your background. Do you have some credentials in this area? Did you work in military intelligence or security or cybersecurity or things like that? Again, up to you if you want to disclose it. But it just it lends to credibility and gives you know more background for folks who are listening. No, um, okay. <laughs> I am actually self-taught. I have spent. 13 years studying geostrategic political policy and also macroeconomic theory. That's why I was chiming in about the interest rates on the live chat. Um, also, like, why I think Jared Powell, Jay Powell, or Jared Powell um, is trying to drive us into a recession because if we go into a recession, more likely the world will go into a recession too. Um, also but that's too hard to arrange, though. You, you can't predict that because there are ways to a recession. Recessions are caused... Um, by by you know low economic stuff and inflation, uh, in fact, recessions are engineered um, to to break inflation. Yeah, but, that, but, the, but but the way you break inflation is yeah, you stop spending money. And gold is still not a standard if it was placed right. onto the U.S. debt as sort of a peg. Okay, okay. thirty-one trillion dollars in debt, right? right? Gold is still trading at nineteen hundred, and at nineteen hundred, that was like the beginning of the Trump administration. Like, it was still uh-huh. trading at 1890. So when you really look at it, for the most part, people crave the dollar. So uh-huh. if more people buy 10, 20-year treasury notes and bonds, they're exposed to the dollar. And we, as we raise the interest rate, and that was one big thing about COVID, too. We uh-huh. stretched our money all across the world. Like, we were like, we're going to fund you. Oh, hey, you need vaccines? We're going to pay for it. You know, oh, we that was stupid. You. We're going to make sure that the world doesn't go into a recession. Especially yeah, but that was corporate well, welfare. Now everyone Because where did they spend the money? Yeah, but they spent the money on Pfizer. They spent the money on our own companies. They spent, you know, we, it's like foreign aid. You, know, you give foreign aid to countries. It was only like a few hundred billion dollars. You know? Okay. And lo and behold, it turns out that vaccine was junk. Well, that's true. Yeah. But it was a form of soft diplomacy as well. Um, okay. So, for the most part, let's say you're, I'm picking a random country, Bangladesh, right? Uh-huh. And you're having an outbreak of COVID. And all of a sudden, this country, the United States, has a vaccine, whether it's Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson Johnson, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, they really want it because they're trying to combat this situation. So, what we do is we go, hey, we'll give you this vaccine. If you don't let Huawei into your um, communications network, okay? I mean, it's Bangladesh, so Southeast Asia, you know what I mean? Um, don't let Huawei into your communications network. We'll give you the vaccine. King of the country is like, okay, bam. You know, that's a form of soft diplomacy. We use the vaccine. No, it's period. extortion. Well, it sounds more like extortion. I mean, <laughs> politics, man. Saudi Arabia is extorting us with oil. We don't like Biden. Eh, we're going to cut. But we don't. But we. But there's a cure for that. The cure for for extortion from all foreign oil has always been developing our own oil. So there's no reason to let another country do that. But the, for for decades, you know, both the, the gelding Republicans and the Marxist Democrats made us dependent on foreign oil, knowing full well that we had our own oil right here. So how does how did that play in? What what was the advantage to doing that, if if not to restrict the American driver from being independent? Why else would you would you raise the price of so, gasoline, knowing that we had our own supply here? I mean, that what what Carter did was an absolute this crime. This is Halloween. I'm going to make a quick little Halloween sort of analogy right here. Okay. So 
you and me are going trick or treating. We got a we got a whole two big old bags of candy, and you're really willing to share your bag of candy with me. So I'm eating out of your bag of candy. Okay? Mm-hmm. I'm eating out of your bag of candy, and you don't think nothing of it. All of a sudden, right. you're out of candy, mm-hmm. and I have my bag of candy. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, I don't want to give you all my candy. So use everyone else's resources that are willing to export to you before mm-hmm. you use your own in case the worst situation occurs, which, you know, or, but, I mean, it won't happen on U.S. soil. Gone to hiding behind every blade of grass, quote. So... We're using everybody else's food. That's right. And well, actually, no, thing too, no, hold on. No, that's a good point. Let me hold on. Hold on a second. You know that vertical no. height? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I want to make your point because you're, you're making a good point. I want to make sure that everybody's clear on what you're saying because I thought of this too, is that when, when the price of oil is high overseas, Saudi Arabia, the other countries, which used to include Venezuela, we can use our oil. And that's the time to use it because we can offer the lower price. We can sell it. It's still going to be a higher price than it would be, you know, with all the supply in the world, but it's still lower than what the foreign sources are offering. So that's how we sell oil. Now, when they lower their price below our price, then we buy their oil, which means then the oil that we have, like your bag of candy, we're saving our bag of candy because we're buying their bag of candy when it's cheap. When their bag of candy gets more expensive, then we use our bag of candy. Now, the difference is that our bag of candy is bigger than their bag of candy. <laughs> you know, so we actually have more oil than they have. So we can play these games. They know full well. Full well. They're more dependent on selling oil uh, than we are because we, we have our own oil. We don't need their oil, but we buy their oil when it's cheaper. So that makes sense. So there's geopolitics for you. But the problem was the Democrats and the, and the GOP, too, who went along with this, were saying, we're not going to open our bag of candy. We're just going to keep it in the ground because they're thinking either, you know, climate change is going to destroy us, which is a myth. Uh, we're going to run, run out of oil really soon, which is also a myth. So they were, they were going on assumptions that weren't true. And if they're basing their policy on that, that's what the problem is. Now, if they're just simply lying to us, which I suspect they were, they just didn't want us to use our oil. That's a different story. Because they didn't want people driving, they want us, you know, at home living in planned communities and using mass transit. That's what I think really is behind it, rather than what you're saying. But I the agree only with difference that. is, I agree. Okay, with that. but the difference is that in my analogy, our bag of candy, you know, didn't run out. That's the difference. Make sense? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Alaska, you know, wildlife preserve, you know, I forget what it was back in the early '90s. You know, mm-hmm. talking about opening that. No, early 2000s. Anwar. the name of that reserve? It's called Anwar. Anwar. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of oil there. And mm-hmm. even the Canadian tar sands, for the most part, there's still mm-hmm. a lot of oil there, although it's rather dirty and bad for the environment. There's a lot of oil there, too. And Canada's it depends how extract part it. of the United States. As much as anyone yeah. wants to beat around the bush, you know, yeah. the Five Eye Nations is a very real thing, you know. So um, we have access mm-hmm. to lots of oil but one thing that I keep in mind is mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia. Okay? They, they, Aramco is a huge company. It exports lots of oil and everything like that. They talked about building that NOAM project over um, in Judea. I think that's what it is, um, on the western part of the country. And that's that vertical hot, uh, skyscraper thing you might have heard about. No, and this is in Judea. Well, so, so we're talking about Judea, Samaria. We're talking about the West Bank. This is the West Bank of Israel, right? That's what you're talking about? Uh, not entirely. Um, it's in Saudi Arabian territory, but it's a multi-billion dollar project. It's well, it's not Judea then. It's trillion at the end. 
It's got to be something yeah. else. I got the location wrong, but oh, um, okay. it's going to be a mega city that's being built by Saudi oh. Arabia. Right. If they're trying to bring innovation, techno- information systems, information technology, like sciences, et cetera, into that area, uh-huh. wouldn't it be diverting some oil into that sector? And then, and, and it's because they know that the Western world is really going to end up transitioning from fossil fuel. See, I don't think so. I think that's I think, another. I think it's a that's a, that, that's a, well, let me put it this way. Um, and we've talked about this in the show a lot. I don't call them fossil fuels because they don't come from, you know, white fossil bones that you see on Jurassic Park. You know, oil comes from yeah, billions upon billions upon billions of, of tons of organic algae, mud, coalesce, whatever that stuff is that, that made oil way back when, primordial days, long, long time ago. Uh, there's a lot of it. I mean, there's an amazing amount of it. And so uh, this, this idea, of calling, I call them organic fuels, okay, because they're organic. They're hydrocarbons. Hydrocarbons are natural. When we burn, uh, so you take an internal combustion engine, right, your basic car engine truck engine, whatever. An internal combustion engine mixes oxygen, mixes air with fuel, 14 to 1. The stoichiometric ratio, so you have 14 parts air, one part fuel. So these things combine together, and what burns is the fuel mixture, the hydrocarbons, with the oxygen, right? So the oxygen burns, and the hydrocarbons are the fuel, and the oxygen is, the, is like the, the driving force, is like the ignition source. So that's why you have spark plugs, ignite the oxygen, burns the fuel, you get power, it expands, the gas expands, and away you go. Out the tailpipe comes two basic products, carbon dioxide, water, and then a few other things like nitrous oxide, sulfur monoxide that eventually end up combining with water and forming uh, nitric acid and sulfuric acid in very small quantities. When a lot of that came out, that's what had acid rain back in the 80s. Okay, so that was that problem. So that was a real problem, but what we, the solution converter. was, yeah, but we, clean, we got catalytic converters. We cleaned up the sulfur and the, nitri- and the nitrogen, and now we don't have that problem, or not, nowhere near as so it's not It's not a, as big a deal. But the two products released are carbon dioxide and water. Okay, well, water is what forms clouds. Carbon dioxide is what makes plants grow. So the, so the, the reason these are organic fuels, and they're not a problem, it's not a problem to burn all the oil or, or natural gas or coal or, or gasoline, diesel, kerosene you want, is because it's contributing to the carbon cycle. So we're replacing the carbon, which is low, actually. If you look at uh, Gregory Wrightstone, a friend of mine, uh, who runs the CO2 coalition, you know, our CO2 is low. So we can burn all the oil we want, and it's, it's, it's going to add to the carbon cycle. It's going to replace the carbon in the air. The, the, the plants are – hello? You making breakfast? Okay, good. Anyway, so we hear everything on the air. So if there's noise in the background, we're going to hear it. It becomes part of the podcast. (laughs) It becomes part of the podcast. I'll wait. Do you need to take a break? I can take a break for a minute. We've got about 10 minutes more anyway. Sure, we can take a break real quick. I'm just going to take a water. Yeah, mute your phone, make a bunch of noise, and let me play a couple things here, and we'll uh, we'll be right back. So there we go. Yeah, take your time. Uh, and let me see if I'm going to scroll back up top here. Yeah, here we go. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. 
They provide medical efficacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Grace Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. From Addiction to Achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. I'm just going to have new musical selections that I've sort of brought in here. I think I'm just a little bit loud. Let me reduce the volume on that one and get us back here. Let's see if uh, if Calman is back on the line and has uh, everything secured now. The hatch is battened down. Are you, are you ready to chat a little bit more? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. The hatch is all battened right. down. Yeah, see, and I've got all these things I can do. So I, I have these different musical selections that I've been pulling off uh, my uh, my soundtrack source, my site. So I'm having a little bit of fun here. So I found an interesting article just before we get back to the other stuff. Uh, this is Drones Aircraft Carriers. Uh, the U.S. Navy will do it. This is by Chris Osborne. The site is The National Interest. Uh, and they did a couple of articles on this. But this is the one in August of 2021. This one's November of 2021. So it looks like, yes, is the, the Navy's move to progressively increase the number of carrier-launched drone missions brings several new attack and combat options for ship commanders. So, yeah, they're going to do it. Uh, in fact, uh, it would be very interesting to see how that works. But, yeah, uh, especially if you have very few people, you have a, a drone-launched uh, thing. I don't know if they do the same in the arrestor hook, but I imagine they're lighter than a fighter. You know, So they probably can make smaller uh, drone carriers carry a lot more drones. The maintenance is going to be less. You don't have to have all the pilots. You just have to have the people to fly them from the computers. So it makes perfect sense. 
There'll be drone fighters soon. There'll be drones fighting other drones. And it's going to be Star Wars. <laughs> it's going to be fabulous. One thing, lasers. One thing I always I mean, say, yeah. one thing I say, too, is mm-hmm. um, supercomputers. Super you even mentioned that, supercomputers. Yep. Um, the amount of capacity it's going to need to be able to fight in real-time scenarios, essentially against mm-hmm. other drones. I mean, mm-hmm. China might develop some themselves, but um, they're not going to have distance capacity compared to what we have. And in the next, it's going to be about 20 years before China um, gets up to the United States when it comes to naval tonnage, which is um, the measurement of naval capacity, um, mm-hmm. what, what you're able to do. Um, and it's going to be about 20 years before they get up to us if everything goes their way for the most part. Hmm. But I don't think it's going their way. I think, I think for the well, most part. Well, their economy's not so the, strong. They've got some shaky economic stuff. I've been listening no. to Gordon Chang and just things I'm reading online that the Chinese economy, in fact, Derek even mentioned they had to devalue their, uh, their yuan, you know, to try and attract more business. But, I mean, here's the thing I don't understand. China is a communist economy. It's the least efficient economy on the planet. I mean, they've got a lot of power because they're big, but they're not very oh, yeah. efficient. If it's you, not like a market economy. If you look at Evergrande, so they don't, a perfect example of how, how overly ahead. leveraged their economy is on products that aren't, are, are not suitable. I mean, it's somewhere in the lines of 65% of um, their leverage in their economy is based on mm-hmm. real estate alone. I mean, I'm not planning on going to China anytime soon. I don't know about you. I mean, there's lots of people that are living. Oh, I'd love to go. I don't want to go yeah. to China. I don't want to get now locked I, I want to go to Hong Kong. I want to go to Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan. <laughs> I want to go to the free parts of China. Oh, the parts that aren't China. But, uh, yeah, that's probably it. Well, the only and, place and, I would uh, want to go is probably the Forbidden Palace. This would be it. You're like, oh, man. That'd be interesting. Wow. Well, I want to see the Great Wall. I mean, I want to go to those tourist things. And, uh, but here's the thing, though. Oh, man, is I go in as an action radio. I mean, I mean, we have listeners in China. I mean, China's been on our board ever since I started the show on Blog Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. So China's always listening. We actually had a call from Beijing. Uh, that was before we got the Skype line, so it must have cost them a bit of money, but we had a call. So uh, it was, that was the last call from China, actually. Uh, but we do have a Skype line, so anybody that wants to call us internationally, you call in, and then I'll see the call. You know, you have to sort of have a call in the day for us so I can approve your account. But we can get calls from anywhere in the world. You know, and we do. We've had New Zealand. We've had uh, Belize. You know, we've had different Australia's called in. We've had different reporters call in from different places. Um, but what do you think about China? Do you think uh, I see it? My first thought when the pipeline was sabotaged, I thought China did it. And the reason I thought China did it is because people would blame either Russia or us. And either way, China wins because they become a source. They create well, unrest in the West. I don't think China's that crap. Don't think you know, China's what don't think now? I don't think China's that crap. China's, China's more covert than anything else. Like, not okay. overt to the point where they blow something up. They're covert to the point where, oh, hey, we're going to sneak in your bedroom. We're going to take something off your desk, and we're going to walk away with it. And you won't even know we took it. You know, they're very covert. You know, if we're going to talk about the data mining that TikTok does, we're uh-huh. going to talk about um, Do you know how that the surveillance systems that Huawei is capable of, and also Tencent. Um, and what are those two places One you thing mentioned? that I find Really uh, those, is, those companies um, you mentioned. Hold on, I'll slow down. DNA, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say slow down a bit because you mentioned a couple of companies or countries. What was, would you say Kuwait or was that a company? The data miners. Huawei. Huawei. Oh, how do you, you spell know, Huawei, that? Huawei, H-U-A-W-E-I. And there was a oh, big Huawei. controversy. Huawei. Are you uh, talking about Huawei? Huawei. Huawei. Eh, I can't pronounce everything right. 
Well, that's okay. No, but the reason I um, clarified it is because your line is still not perfectly clear, and I want people to understand what you're talking about because what you're talking about is great. But I just I just have to kind of double over. So Huawei, and what was the other one? Um, Tencent. Tencent. Okay, I've heard of those. Now TikTok. How does TikTok yeah. actually mine your data? When you do you have to be on the app, or can you just be on Facebook, or where where are they able to get your information? So I can actually explain this quite well. Oh, so, good, please do. You know how there's filters, right? You get on Snapchat or Instagram or TikTok. There are filters. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for them, for those filters to be able to get a proper position of your face, it goes through a specific uh, diagram um, based on the bridge of your nose, the corners of your eyes, your eyebrows, your cheekbones, your your chin, etc. So it mm-hmm. builds a diagram of your face. So let's say you say something controversial. Okay? Mm-hmm. Let's say you say like I do every day. Is Winnie the Pooh. Okay? <laughs> but China doesn't know who you are. Right. right? You're, let's say I'm up on a stage saying, uh, Xi Jinping, Winnie the Pooh, blah, 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 you know, boo, Xi Jinping. Um, they don't know who I am. But with TikTok, all that information is harvested. I put in my name. I put in my email address. I put in my phone number. My birthday might even come into play. I don't have TikTok. My birthday might even come into play. And all they have to do is register those points on my face, reference them to all the other people that have very close signatures of those, of those points on my face, and they mm-hmm. can find me and find out exactly who I am, where I live, and all that type of stuff. Because you agree to it in terms and conditions. And okay. I agree to all. You know, so it's data harvesting. That's so one way if that you, could be used in a malevolent way. So if you watch a TikTok video on Facebook, you're not, you don't have the app. You haven't registered anywhere. Are they still, does that still trace you by the fact that you're watching it on Facebook or other mediums? Or is that, are they excluded from that? And you have to actually register, you have to actually register with uh, TikTok in order for them to get your information. Well, um, with cookies. Another thing is with cookies. Okay. Um, when you're on Facebook, right? And you go to Newegg.com because you're looking for a new computer part. And you see references on Facebook for Newegg. What it yep. is, is you agree to the data harvesting of the cookies of previous sites that you look at. So one thing that with proper algor- algorithmic like programming, mm-hmm. they can create a personality profile of me. Let's say I watch The Daily Wire with Ben Shapiro. They can get an idea that I have a conservative viewpoint. Okay. I might be sympathetic to um, Israel, okay? mm-hmm. um, all these different things. And then they match it with other little cookies that I watch. Like, let's say I watch Fox News or something. You know, they can make a personality and a political opinion profile of me based on your agreement of sharing cookies. And when it comes to TikTok, I look at a certain video. I spend five seconds looking at it, and I swipe. Mm-hmm. The next video is five seconds or 15 seconds, and I watch the whole 15. So it knows I like cats, this cat videos versus dog videos. So it feeds me more cat videos. Well, let's say the cat video is Chinese. Okay? So it shows me more sympathetic viewpoints of Chinese people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing I'm critical about China is um, their treatment of black people. I think it's very... I think it's very well. They're racist country. Very, <laughs> they are very racist. 
Well, I mean, so is Japan, um, so is a bunch of Asian countries. I mean, they really, you know, if you're not Asian, uh, there's, a, there's an inherent prejudice in, in, in a lot of Asian countries, more so than other places. Yeah, I know. You know, but I don't know if African countries are predisposed to not care about white people. So, yeah, yeah. we, we got to go in a couple of minutes. So we, we, we need to end up here a little bit here. But uh, this is fascinating. Um, this whole idea of geopolitics. But, uh, yeah, China is interesting. I don't know what's uh, – um, I was curious about the data mining just because just – because. so it sounds like they can't get your information unless you actually register, uh, unless they use cookies so they can get a bit of it. Or in my case, just listen to the show. You know, so I'm thinking to myself, if I want to go to Taiwan and start teaching uh, the Taiwanese how to write their own legislation, you know, China's going to know about it, me being right there. <laughs> you know, so it probably would be a good thing for me not to go at this particular time in history you know, being the, the instigator that I am, uh, the fact that our international audience is growing to, to go to, you know, certain places in the world, you know, advocating citizen legislation, because if their own citizens did that, they'd be killed. <laughs> so I don't want to go to a place that does that, because, you know, I don't need that kind of grief. I got too much work to do. Um, okay, well, this is really interesting. Do you have like a, like a closing comment to kind of sum up or, or things in the news to watch? Um, but feel free to call any time. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this. We've had, a, we've had a good chat here. Oh, yeah. Um... Since you brought up Taiwan, mm-hmm. I always like to let people know that if an invasion were to happen, quote, well, there would be a blockade, which they already practiced it with Nancy Pelosi's visiting of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. But How about it that? only occurred in two times of the year. Hmm. One, it, uh, one time is from mid-March to about mid-April, and the other time is about the whole month of October. Because in that region, it is typhoon season, except for those times. Typhoons generally don't happen between those times of the year. So if there is ever something that happens in Taiwan, those times of the year are what you got to look at. So that's, you brought up Taiwan, so I just like to let people know that. You know, just pay attention over there in March, mid-March, and October. Pay attention to Taiwan. Yeah, those are the times in my life when things get good. Is more, actually, April and October are my two busiest months for, for change. All right, let me take a look at Taiwan. Taiwan's in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, it's up there's China. So our hurricane season here, I'm in Florida. Uh, well, you're in Florida, too. Uh, our hurricane season is March through November. But it's not the whole year. It's only March, April, May, June. So I guess it's like, no, it's not. It's June through November or July through November. When does the hurricane season start? June? Well, just, I think keep, it's June. just keep in mind, if you invade Taiwan, you've got to set up a beachfront and forward operating bases in order to be able to take the mainland with infantry troops. Yep. If a typhoon comes in, it's going to wreck everything. So now, how often has Taiwan had a typhoon? I can't remember one. In, in, I can't remember any, any news stories of a, of a typhoon hitting Taiwan any time in the last many years. They had one like two months ago. Okay, I missed you just don't hear about it. It's in Asia. It's in like the southeast. You know? Oh, I'll check it out. You don't hear about okay, anything in Taiwan. Yeah. But how do they have hurricanes all? How do they have hurricanes all year? See, we we have hurricanes when the uh, um, when the sun is in the northern hemisphere, up by the Tropic of Cancer, which is where Taiwan is too. But the Tropic of Cancer goes right through Taiwan. Uh, let's see what it crosses the United States. Actually, it's a, it's a halfway across the Gulf of Mexico. It's for the Tropic of Cancer. So that's what the sun is in the summertime. But I don't know a lot about geological weather <laughs> well i do well but, I, I know um, i know a bunch of stuff about I a bunch study, of stuff it, it's weird well i'm just uh, i got a globe right here so i'm looking at the globe all right so now think about this so let's, let's, let's puzzle this out then we have to go but if you look at a map of uh china 
China, most of China is above the Tropic of Cancer. Tropic of Cancer is the highest point that the sun reaches on the Earth in the summertime, June 21st, okay? During the zodiac sign of Cancer, obviously. And the Tropic of Capricorn does exactly the same thing in the Southern Hemisphere. So the Southern Hemisphere on December 21st is our shortest day, but it's their longest day because the Earth wobbles. So the only time hurricanes, hurricanes are a heat transfer device. Hurricanes are in the north, cyclones are in the south. So a hurricane season is during the hottest time of the year. And it's the end of the hottest time of the year when the most heat is built up at the equator through the Tropic of Cancer that a hurricane transfers the heat through this massive storm from the equator uh, to the northern you know, parts of the uh, northern hemisphere. That's what a hurricane does. Okay, so for Taiwan, to have hurricanes in the winter makes no sense because the Earth patterns wouldn't do that. It's the coldest time of year. It's the least chance of a hurricane. So you're not going to have a hurricane uh, in, uh, you know, after November, you know, in China, the same reason you're not going to have a hurricane here because it's cold. You know, you can have storms, but, you know, the winter storms are a different kind of thing. So the cyclones then begin in the southern hemisphere the same time they end here, December 21st. <laughs> you know, when, the, when the, the longest day, their longest day, that's their hottest day, longest day. Uh, and that's how it works. So there's no reason. To, so that, that theory doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. Because the hurricanes can't last all year because you've got a winter and a summer. Hurricanes are at the end of the summer, the worst ones, when the most heat has been built up. So you wouldn't have a hurricane at the end of winter in the southern hemisphere when the most cold is built up. Or you're not going to have a hurricane up north when it's the most cold has been built up. Well, I guess you've got to look at the historical pattern. Take a look at it again. Take a look at it again. I bet you'll find that the hurricane you know, is typhoons there. hitting Taiwan, you know, in frequency in like what month, you know. Uh-huh. But just through what I study, you know. Um, right. Taiwan's okay. actually, what's really cool about Taiwan, it is, huh? it is very defensively built. They're, they even plant um, punji sticks, like something very similar to like Vietnam, Vietnamese like um, traps that they would plant in the ground. Oh, I know what they are. They would dig out and everything. Um, mm-hmm. On the shoreline, they get so thick and it's so hard to cut them down that if you try to go through them, even with a vehicle, and let's say something happens, like you fall, you get that's how dense and strong these things are. Um, well, look how Taiwan was formed. It was Chiang Kai-shek. Effect. Chiang Kai-shek was, was, the, was the, natural, the, the nationalist leader, the republic leader of China that we were supposed to support, but our State Department gave all the weapons to Mao Zedong, the communists. The communists fought the nationalists during World War II when the nationalists were fighting the Japanese at the same time. You know, so Chiang Kai-shek takes his government over to Taiwan and says, okay, if, if uh, the United States is in, and, and the communists are going to gang up on the, on the nationals, the people that should have been in power, you know, they're going to go somewhere else and set up their own country. So they did. So there's six million Chinese in Taiwan. And, of course, it's defensive. It was, it was a war-based government, you know, a defensive government. Yeah. So, of course, they're going to be defensive. And Taiwan, apparently, is very hard to invade, you know. Yeah. So that's yeah. why China hasn't gone in. But I, my program would be very simple. You know, a quarter million or, or half a million or a million AR-15s to all the citizens. So everybody has a gun. Make it like Switzerland. Anyway, final comment. Like the United States. That we got well, yeah. I, no, I'm yeah. talking about in, in terms of size. You know, Switzerland is a very concentrated country with a lot of mountains. Uh, it's very defensible, and everybody has a gun. But the Swiss population is not that big. But the Swiss stood up to the Nazis, right, which were a much bigger country. In the same way, Taiwan, if you arm every Taiwanese with an AR-15, that'd be 6 million. So, so, so send over like 2 or 3 million. <laughs> you know, so the adult population has, has their own AR-15 um, in a war, you know, potential war against China. China could not occupy Taiwan. There'd be no point in going. 
because they never get there. They could destroy it, but that's not the point. They don't want to destroy Taiwan. They want to make it part of China. So um, when it comes to the Ukrainian war, back Last in 2014, comment. after the Maidan revolution, I was sitting there thinking, like, how would, how would Russia's military go about, like, proceeding to control Ukraine, right? They, they went all the way up to the river. That's what I thought. There's a river that goes through Ukraine. And it's right. Yeah, it's called the, the Dnieper. It's called the Dnieper River. Yeah. yeah. Dnieper River. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, like, well, if I were the Russians, I would split the country in half. So I'd cut mm-hmm. its GDP output. And, I'd, you know, I'd completely hold it hostage because rivers are so important for uh, logistics and uh, shipping. Well, I think Kiev's on the river. I think that's when the it comes to Taiwan, Kiev. Now, because here's of the, my reference the... to Taiwan. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, real quick. Um, when it comes to Taiwan, when they practiced that blockade, when it came to mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi, and even military generals said, like, the first thing that they would do is blockade that country, surround mm-hmm. it. And they surrounded it before, okay, when Nancy went over there. If they can't establish a beachhead, and they also do not have enough amphibious vehicles, and we're going to have to use literally cruise ships to put people in there if they want to have enough landing force to be able to establish that type of situation, or mm-hmm. they're people, liberation, fishing boats. Um, if they can't establish that beachhead, one thing that I really fear for Taiwan is I could see just unforgiving, overwhelming force just being put down on that country. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some CEOs in China that literally said, we are actually in mobilization for war. I believe they're stockpiling right now and using COVID as a backdrop. Um, Oh, I'm sure they are. In fact, if Taiwan's smart, they'll make alliances with the Philippines and with Japan and South Korea and and like a mutual protection pact, if they're smart. I think they they are doing such. Okay. I think these other countries, Japan, South Korea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got to go, but I'll tell you what, um, this is good. I've got some more. I've got open time uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays. So if you want to call in, you know, if we've got a gap or I don't have a guest or something like that or a reporter, feel free to join in because we can talk about uh, we should do this on a fairly regular basis. We get a little more focused, maybe maybe keep it to half an hour, you know, as we get going here. But uh, this has been fun. So thank you very much. I appreciate having yeah, you on. If you ever want to focus on a specific region, mm-hmm. I'm very fluent in essentially the world. So well, just pick a region each time. Out. In other words, don't try don't try and cover the whole world. You know, when you call, but just pick a place. Pick Ukraine one time. Pick Taiwan another time. Pick Saudi Arabia another time. You know, like the Middle East, we can do it regionally, and I think that'd be uh, that'd be a good way to do it. But I gotta let you go now. I got uh, a couple more things to to play here, and uh, then we shall uh, should be on our way. I'm gonna be back uh, Monday. I got a lot of work to do. I get ready. <laughs> I have to get ready for next week's shows. So that's how we'll do it. But thank you. For sure. Thank you very much. This has been fun. Thank All right. You have a good so, day now. You have a good day, too. Yeah. So, folks listening, if, if, the main site you want to go to for our legislation is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. Uh, also, if you want to contribute to us here, we've got a couple of places. We've got uh, the Give, Send, Go account, and that's at uh, givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We also have PayPal Me uh, at paypal.com slash paypalme slash actionradio. And if you miss those, just catch the podcast. Um, but uh, if you want to sponsor us, if you want to uh, donate to us, you know, if you're a big foundation and you want to uh, help out Action Radio, uh, write the bills that we write and, and uh, get them into the national debate and uh, national news, that's what we need help with. So that's where we need to go with that. Other than that, uh, enjoy your weekend. Have a wonderful time. Let me see if I can find a little piece to, to leave you with on our way out. A little inspiring music to uh, send you on your way for the weekend. 
This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.